This is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. Now, Monty, the LPL is finished. And Jing Dong Gaming, or JDG, because I'm a boomer, so I use the old school names. They're actually called JD Gaming now, because everyone knows what a nightmare the rebrands in China are. Where actually, like some Orwellian stuff, you rebrand to mean nothing. Like, that acronym means nothing. Like, TSM, classic, classic. But anyway, <laughs> so obviously the thing is they have yet to lose a best of five this entire year. They've gotten as high as they can go without having to suffer any pain at all. And that reminds me of the freeze pipe because <laughs> it both can't be beat when it comes to his peers. And it ensures you can get as high as you like without suffering the irritation and pain of hot smoke getting to your lungs. On a scale of three, six, and nine, I'd give it a clear nine. So clear that bomb. And just... Take the food safe glycerin chamber and put it in the freezer section for a mere hour. Don't worry, it's only going to be missing temporarily. Once <laughs> it comes back, which Jing Dong Gaming's brilliant at, you'll be set for a truly great night. Now, <laughs> turn your cannabis smoking session into a can of V and win the day by smoking weed. That's, that was a reach, but whatever. They can't all be brilliant, guys. With the freeze pipe, code LFN at thefreezepipe.com for 10% <laughs> off your order. So get one for your arm. Import a freeze <laughs> pipe to your smoking self today. It's the undisputed ruler. <laughs> Oh, that, that, that was, was pretty magnificent. good. I got Thank everything. You. Listen, the Kanavi one. You, can't, the, the, you think I'm a better one for Kanavi. There's not. There's nothing for that one. I had to read. That was a reach, but it's all good. It's all good. The rest was good. That's the right. Uh, they've got a new martini bubbler yes. as well. Classy new glass piece, and they have this uh, fun little thing we've talked about before, which is the blunt tip, which you can put uh, a joint into. Obviously, you can get those pre-rolled at most dispensaries, or you can even use a, a vape pen that's compatible with 510 cartridges. And this only has yes. to go in for 20 minutes. And this thing can just live permanently in your freezer, guys. No problem. Yeah. So that's uh, that's really quite a, a fun new little piece and very portable as well. Easy to take around. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of variety that they have. And they've got even more variety uh, coming out kind of like monthly just new products so blunt tip martini bubbler new if you haven't checked those out yet and we've actually got some preview pieces that haven't even been released yet for you guys that are really cool that we're excited to show you in the coming few weeks so there you go thank you very much to the freeze pipe still an awesome sponsor and again guys sponsoring uh you know supporting our sponsors is the very best way to support us so if you guys have been looking for perhaps a gift for your friend or a new piece of glass yourself there's a good time to go get it Thank you very much. You know, the problem I've realized, even though it does add to the humor because it makes it obvious what I'm doing, that's artifice. The real problem, Monty, is I never do speak in that really controlled way. Like, you know the thing about, like, I never do that. The problem is I'm too intense. I know, so as soon as I do that voice, you know, like, right, where's it? come on then. Where's it? What, what, what product's coming I think that's, you know I think part coming. of the fun, though. I think that's part of the fun. <laughs> I think that's part yes. of the fun. People don't know where you're, where you're going yes. with it. And by the way, if at any point I'm talking about things like heat, health like what's better understand guys disclaimer i am not a doctor i just played one in a flashpoint skit it's true you can go look it up i was there with anders bloom checking him out mentally and stuff brilliant that was before esl invented skits in the yes, counter-strike exactly uh, it's weird how they do that isn't it they always seem to invent stuff that we do but just a couple of years late bloody hell we must just have time travel technology we're the true time lords uh <laughs> 
Oh, so, uh, yeah. Someone could, uh, by the way, it wouldn't take that much effort. Someone could make an amazing edit just using the whole sequence from Back to the Future 2, where old Biff goes and takes the great sports almanac and goes back and changes all that. They could just take that and make it Riot just stealing daughter, etc. right? Like, I'm just saying, guys, if someone's got editing skills, there's an amazing edit just waiting for you right there. Like, that would actually be sick. That would be so good. Uh, so we did have a we did have a new All Pro vote from the oh, LEC this. this week. Uh, thoughts thoughts, Thorin, after our massive criticism of the LCK All Pro putting all of KT first team and all of uh, all of Genji second team in the last week. Well, the main problem here is like also that's another thing we've touched on a little bit on this show. But why has that gone under the radar? Like, dude, I've told you we said this about the LPL one last week. I love the fact that these tournaments now in the modern day have like the sports style thing, like a regular season MVP, all pro, so that you can be on like the best example ever is it didn't happen. But if this had been a normal split of like how old LEC ran, then in spring, Jankos would have actually made all pro, even though he was on one of the worst teams because he was just a really good player, even though his team sucked. Why have they changed everything now? Like, as far as I can tell, wasn't it just, Monty, that now you just do one All-Pro for the whole year? That sounds terrible. Not least because the number one problem with all votes in League of Legends is recency bias. And if you go look at who they voted for, they have just done recency bias. Like, have you seen how many, th- how many times XL has, like, coaching staff, like, people at the top? Like, give me a break, mate. Like, you've basically just done it off the last split, haven't you? So they they have been doing them every split. So this is particularly for the summer split. Um, yeah, but that's the LEC. problem. Though. This is the dumbest yeah, yeah. part. Like the reason why I really lampoon LCK is that was just the regular season, and you're given all the first. They're doing it here, Monty, where you vote for All Pro after the playoffs. Like, what is what is that? Like, I still don't even really understand what you are voting for there. Like, essentially, isn't the game rigged so that to not be in the first team, you have to be really fucking bad if you win? Like, what are we voting for? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I can't even really tell what they're voting for, because, like, for the players, it was just for the summer split. But for the coaching staff, it says number one coaching staff of the LEC season. So it feels like they have they're giving year end awards, right, uh, for coaching staff. But we haven't actually seen year end awards for players. And yet the summer all pro, it's just for summer all pro. And we haven't seen like a season MVP. Maybe that's yet to be announced, uh, to be fair. Uh, the coaching staff was announced just four hours ago, but it is confusing. <laughs> it's confusing again because of the formats that they're using. So it seems like they're going to have more. They are going to have more season ending awards before the season finals actually uh, begin. It looks like they're going to be releasing one of those a week. But even for the coaching staff, it is pretty insane that you would have XL's coaching staff in there, given their finishes in two of the splits, to your point about recently. I mean, they're going to argue that those were the same staff or whatever, but then I would just say this. If it's for the whole year, Monty, then by definition, this staff gets zero for the first split, don't they? They weren't there. Yeah. There's different coaching staff. So that's why I say the coaching staff gives away the, the bias. Like Some people have XL number one coaching staff because their logic just going off, off summers. Like, wow, look at them. They went all the way to second place. Here's another one for you, mate. I'm looking at all the people who are like having the different angles. How is everyone just fine with humanoid being second team mid laner? Like, what are we even doing at this point in time? Like, if we were picking players from Fnatic, wouldn't he be like the fourth or fifth best player? Like, what are we doing? Like, I don't get it, mate, because here's the weirdest thing about that. Like, using the same logic of recency bias. We're not, it's like, it was Vethio not better than fucking humanoid? Our missus, is Larson not better than humanoid? What are we, what are we doing here? Like, second best mid. I don't get it, mate. I don't get it. 
The rest of the Fnatic uh, players are good picks. Like, I don't mind them, but Humanoid I mean, second, it, give me a break. Even in summer, I would argue that Abadage had a really good split overall. Totally fine, Remember, yeah. he, he looked like he was returning back to form, yeah. and Humanoid was incredibly shaky in some of the games that Fnatic was winning. I do think it's kind of the bias towards Fnatic. And just based on the voting, it was that a lot of people, I think, split between Humanoid and Abadage. We did see a couple, like, Larson votes, uh, notably from, you know, former teammate Finn. I guess he he picked up Larson in the second team All-Pro. But, also yeah. technically Swedish as well. So I mean, you know what's, what's also crazy is that Abadage re- received more first-team votes than Humanoid did. Like, Humanoid I mean, to returned- where the, the, the votes are and all that crap. Yeah, but so Abadage received like you four or five link first... to the ballot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me I'll link it to the ballot. It, Abadage received more first team uh all pro votes than Humanoid did, and yet Humanoid ended up as the second team all pro, even though it looked like it was very close in terms of the number of votes between Humanoid and Abadage for second team. So it does feel bad. I mean, it does feel bad, and I, I certainly don't think, given Humanoid's performance, that Holy he earned shit. the second I team All-Pro. I can't take this, mate. I can't actually handle <laughs> this. Have you seen this fucking ballot? Like, go yep. look at the top here. Cecilia Chiocchetti, right, who works for .esports. Oh, don't worry. They just had Humanoid first mid laner. What? The only one. What? The only vote for Humanoid what? first mid laner. What is that, also, just Holy shit. Uh, just, just the... Just the players, too. Um, wow. You know, uh, there are tons that are just all five of the G2 players, right? There are, there are a bunch of these ballots that are just all five, all five players or like four of the players with Noah. It's uh, can at least give them a break that like G2 will, should probably at least have like three first team. They were yes. very good. I'll give them that. Like, it's not as bad. They were more they were more dominant relative to the rest of the field than KT was. I mean, the thing about KT and the Korean All Pro voting was that those Gen G and KT were literally one match apart, right? So it is it does beggar belief that you could have all five KT members and say that Gen G has no players that are best in their role. Holy shit, this is mental. Have you seen how many people have voted El Yoya? <laughs> some people have him second. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, look, obviously the guy having him second is from fucking eSports Mania course. Mate, there's another thing. Um, this is why I, if you don't know, by the way, there's a reason I only ever talk about these on talk shows and I don't make a, a video every split because I realized it's the same as like the world's format where they had the group stage with the people divided. You can only make the same video like three times, mate. It gets boring. Like it doesn't matter that the new fan doesn't know the info. Like, I'm so fucking bored of seeing these ballots and then people just vote for people from their country. Like, it's not funny that Esports Maniacos thinks El Yoya, who, by the way, just had easily the worst split of his whole career, and you can argue, because he's the clear star of the team, tanked their team, and he's the second best jungler in LEC. What are we doing? This is supposed to be for history. Like, also, just because this dickhead is from Spain, we have to have him ruin the vote. Like, by that logic, Monty, can you imagine, by the way? Let me just give you, I'll give you the contrast that'll show you how fucking stupid this is. Can you imagine if I got a vote, Monty, if it said Duncan Shields there, and I just voted for people from the UK who were shit every time as all pro? Do you think everyone would sit there and go, this is fine, this is... Think about how they've complained about my career. Do you think they'd go, yeah, no problem. I mean, he's from the UK as well, so understandable you'd be biased, like... Give me a break, mate. It's just sad. It's just sad, mate. 
Also, I think it does, you know, not having VTO in the top three. I mean, you just have to ask questions such as if well, there are if, French guy, of course, Monty, who voted him first mid laner. <laughs> fucking this whole thing's stupid, isn't it, mate? Give me a break. Give me a fucking the, the break. The thing is, though, that obviously heretics exceeded expectations, right? Within summer. Uh, nobody thought they were going to be doing this well. So you you have to have some feasible reason why heretics was doing better and they were able to make top four. So you're saying a top four team, you know, and we know that the reason was like Yankos and Vito. I would argue Yankos probably deserves second team all pro, if not arguably first team all pro. I think you could make that. I, I think you could make an argument there, even though Yike, I think. Yike, the thing about Yike in in the summer split was that he transitioned primarily to tank play, oh, and wait, he did wait, his keep going, keep going, keep going. He did his job as a tank within G two, and I think that was a good dimensionalization of his play. But he wasn't necessarily as dominant individually as he's been in the past on some of his carry champions. Whereas I think Yankos really stood out as being one of the main engines that was powering heretics to their kind of top four placement within the summer playoffs. So I think, I think both VTO and Yankos probably deserve better, at least better record recognition than they actually received as, as a result of this vote. I also have to inform you of something else. There are two people, two people who voted peach, the second best jungler. That is outrageous. <laughs> What? <laughs> that one, it's like, what are you even voting for there? You really think he was the reason why Axel second us, Mike? Give me a break. The fuck? Why are people so that is blind? like that is like a troll vote. It's like if you only watched the one Lee Sin game and then didn't watch any of the Maokai games where he randomly dies very early on in the jungle. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Hopefully, though, Thorin, since they do appear to be doing season-ending awards for the coaching staff right now, we will get a season MVP, and hopefully that player will be Mickey X. I will be very sad if it isn't, because I think he has been the most consistent member of G2 over the course oh, of oh, the mate. entire year. I, I, this is here's the problem I have, right? I hate it already when players do my biased votes, but the other thing I hate is when the press and the media are people I don't even know, and they're doing stupid votes. So here's another good one for you. How about this? Someone called Carver Fisher, whoever the fuck, that sounds like some character fucking Samuel Jackson played in a movie. Carver <laughs> Fisher would like the world to know that Limit was the best support player, not Mickey X. I know I just saw Mickey X run the whole fucking LEC for the whole year and win two of the championships, including the most recent one, and that's what this is voting for. But no, no, I was wrong, Monty. It was Limit all along. <laughs> fucking hell. Like, you know, Limit was one of the least important parts of that fucking team. What are we doing here? What is what is this? What the fuck is it? also I'd love to know the brain logic, right? Of like limit is the best support player, but then like it the only other players are Bedagi. Like by your logic, surely Odoan and Patrick should are the best as well. If we're doing all XL one, like there's no real rhyme or reason to these, mate. There's nothing. I'm really glad you didn't look at these before the show so you could just, just get garbage, triggered in live. It. It's just garbage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I was less, I was less outraged by seeing all five members of G2 than I was seeing all five members of KT. And by the way, guys, of course, I'm the famous KT fan. So that says a lot, but it, it, it because, because of, you know, G2's relative, relative dominance, but even so, I think, you know, this, 
it does it I does make you wonder the premise the, the whole premise of what all pro is doesn't exist anymore and now you've just ruined it that's it brilliant great job good job well, I think the problem with a lot of these all pro votes, Thorin, is that many of the members of the press probably are not informed enough, potentially, in order to make reasonable votes. And the players just don't care. So, the problem is the players are just not going to put a lot of time into thinking about these things. And they're requested to do it. Uh, they're requested to do it, but they're not going to. They're not going to actively... In my experience, the problem pros have is pros, A, just don't care about historical stuff, so they think it's a waste of time. Or B, they actually think that, like... Like, in there, here's the problem. I don't think a lot of pros even do all pros well. I think what they really do is they just tell you who they think are the three best people at the role at the time. Like, I think half of their shit's off scrims, quite clearly, if you look at some of the votes. But players, I can at least forgive their Monty, because the premise scores, they might be voting on things we don't know about. The press ones kill me, because it's like, why do the press even get a vote, mate? Like, is it just as, like, a payoff for covering the league? Because, like, for example, why does the shitty LEC Wooloo Pokemon guy get to vote for historical posterity as to who the best players are in LA. Why? I don't get it, mate. So because he was wrong a few times about some point, he just gets to vote on history. What? Like, what I don't get is, you know what? I'm not even joking. I don't know now. Maybe now people wouldn't do it. But a couple of years ago, Monty, if you'd have come to the following list of people, depending on what their job at the time was, people like Dom, LS, Papa Smith, they would all agree to be on a panel and vote for this if you asked them. Like, they care about history. They would actually do it right even. So why do we have to have people that we either don't know or are just fucking randoms voting? I don't know. I don't get it, mate. Same with some of the talent. Like, in some ways, you're almost setting the talent up to fail, Monty, when you get, like, the interviewer and tell them to vote on the best three players. Like, I don't even well, blame them if they're wrong. Like, you shouldn't even be giving them a vote, in my opinion. What's weird about this, Thorin, is that only four members of the talent actually voted on the All-Pro, which are Medic, Lord, Yamato Cannon, and Vettius. Yamato Cannon is a very part-time talent, and we don't have Goldborg or Kdrol even voted. I find that odd. Also, what does anyone even know? What is the status of Yamato Cannon's like contract? Is he technically like still under contract to Fnatic? Like, how does that work? Is that not a conflict of interest? Yeah. Who knows, right? Is he released? I don't know. Yeah, I don't he shouldn't know. be voting for this if he's not. Like, what? it's the secret Fnatic vote, isn't it? And what do you know? He put Razork fucking best jungler. <laughs> yeah, all right, mate. I don't think so somehow. I don't think so. So like, okay, nice, brilliant. Yeah. But a, a lot of the a lot of the talent either recused themselves or, or weren't asked as a result of this. So I think those people who have been uh, who have been very active in terms of watching every game and whose jobs there it is to evaluate this stuff, like I would like to see K Drill's votes in here for sure. It's tough. I don't know. Well, it's a bummer. Hopefully that they can actually rectify some of this for at least the season stuff. I, I do think it's hard at times to evaluate all pro when the splits are so short. You know what I mean? I actually don't even think you need all pro every single split of of LEC because it's inherently going to be biased towards the top four teams because the top four teams are going to have the majority of the playtime, right? And I don't think there's a way to escape from the recency bias of each individual split when you are basically, everybody's basically just going to pick players from the top four teams every single time as a result of the format. So I would rather just see this with a more long view where you do the entire season all pro rather than 
just having it done split by split because they're I'll too. I'll give you some more short. mental ones. Here's some more mental ones people aren't going to notice. Because this one, it, you remember, obviously the most outrageous ones are in the first team and the second team, or if it's related to like race, uh, country or nationality. Tell you what is mental, Monty. Look how many people, there's even a couple, there's even one in second, but it's on third team. Look how many for third team ADC have Kazi. You do know they lost like 10 games in a row or something. Like, are we actually going to pretend that didn't happen? For the, they're only doing it for the spring, summer split, Monty. And this is the team that lost, like, what was it, nine or 10 games? I have to check if it was, I think it was nine, but I'll have to double check. And he was your th best, third best ADC. Didn't even make the playoffs, by the way. Like, I don't know, I don't know what we're doing it on now. As far as I can tell, I get why the esports Manicos guy did it because he plays for Mad Lions and they're Spanish. But like, aside from that, why are we even doing these votes? It's just garbage, mate. <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. Like, the, um, essentially, if we combine it together, like LEC and LCK, all pro just means nothing now. Like, and LCK just means you finished first. And then LCK, I mean, LEC, I don't even know what the rhyme or reason is. We've said there's like 50 different reasons why they're voting. Like, the joke is, I would be annoyed if they only did recency bias. Some of these look like the opposite. Like, how are you voting people for Mad Lions in the top three teams? Like, they were that good. <laughs> they weren't, surely. Yeah. Got to agree with you there. Got to agree with you there. Sadly, you never. We're actually, by the way, it's going to keep going like this in all esports. We're never going to get like what we have in sports now is like the sweet spot that is going to go away. Because one thing I hate in Counter Strike, people might know this, is you know, everyone reveres the HLTV top 20 players of the year list. It's like this, but worse, mate, because it goes based on like whether you, like they do shit like in their tournament, they give away MVP, but then they give away EVP, which means that you performed really well, but you weren't the MVP. So they give like, let's say five to 10 players, something like that, depending on how big the tournament is. So essentially their list also for real isn't an individual player list. Like they make it sound like it's just did your team get far enough in tournaments to allow you to get up the list? So it just becomes the same thing. What is the point in individual awards in a team game based on the team's gate award? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's just nothing. Like, now history will never know anyone who plays for a bad team was good. They'll never know. There's yeah. no way to tell. Yep. And I, shit, I agree. Now, that's someone will problem. go back and look and go, oh, I guess Peach was an amazing... Like, what's the point? What's the point there? <laughs> There's not even, like, a Korean. That's just fucking shit. Like, um, at this point, you almost objectively can't watch what you're seeing on a League of Legends screen. Like, you, you should just have your vote taken away from you immediately. Because I don't blame anyone who voted. I blame idiots giving them the vote, mate. It's a bit like my view on politics. <laughs> there you go. Straight fire. Fucking straight not fire. an unreasonable view. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I don't know how you fix this though, because uh, you want uh, on one side. On one side, you want a sample size big enough so it's that like no said, one. Let's be real. You really do have to narrow down the panel. Like we, like obviously, we can't control for a giant panel like this. Because as we said, think about it, Monty. They're voting for like contrary reasons. Someone's doing it for nationality. This one's doing it from scrims. This one's doing it for. I think for real, you probably want a panel of like ten people max, and you just want it to be where they all. It's like the esports awards. You all understand the premise of what you're voting for and what you're selecting for, and then you just try and do your best job. And if after that, by the way, people have really obscure like different opinions like if after that someone really does have El Yoya their third best jungler okay maybe sometimes I can forgive that but like I can't do it when then they're just Spanish and he's Spanish and magically he's there but you know what I mean like that's too on the nose mate like, like you have to have your vote taken away if you do that I'm afraid I think the problem is is that you have to actually get these people into a room or into a 
like a call where they're all and paying like attention. And like men. They're going to argue with each yes. other. You're going to actually yes. like debate the topic basically. Yeah. Like you a do. jury. I think so. Yeah, you do. You do actually have to get the people into a room and make sure they're paying attention and you can actually have a discussion about this stuff. Because if you don't do that, people will vote with their own uh, criteria in isolation or just submit dumb votes that don't make any sense. So, but the the thing is, Thorne, is that none of these people want to spend the time to get into a room to make sure history is right, because at the end of the day, they ultimately don't care. And that's the fundamental issue with the LCK stuff. It's with all, all of the all pro voting. I think there's two issues, one of which is that there isn't, this is going to sound weird, there isn't a large enough sample size, because in all pro, in, in a larger all pro voting, like you see in perhaps the NFL, they generally do a pretty good job. But if you have a large enough sample size, it can limit the bias, right? So you either have to have a group of people who really just wants to get into the weeds and argue with each other for a few hours about how this is going to turn out and spend the time to do that. Or you have to have a large enough sample size that it actually makes sense. But the problem in esports compared to traditional sports is there simply aren't enough experts in order to have a large pool, right? There simply aren't. In the NFL, you have 32 teams. You have people, you have journalists who have spent their entire lives covering this game and who do very much care about the history, right? And who do uh, have a professional reason to get all of this stuff right. And at least in it, it, the, the sample size is just too small in esports. It's just too small. And they're not willing to go out. You know, Riot would rather die than put our names or other people's names who spend all of their time working on this game on that ballot. So they lose even more people who could actually be trying to shift the vote into a place that actually makes sense or who would be willing to engage in these conversations and who would be willing to spend time because they just don't like people. So there you go. <laughs> the problem is, but, though, like, as mad as it sounds, the LCK one is way more egregious because, like, you do have an amazing sample size there. You have, like, what, 18 fucking best of threes? Like, the joke is the LCK should be the easiest to do an awesome all-pro vote on. That's why one thing that I did hate was now it just set them up for all those shit jokes, Monty, where when KT lost, everyone could just be like, lol, the five best players lost, like when Mad Lions did it, that split in LEC. But the problem with that is that's not, the, the fact that they lost the playoffs doesn't prove they were wrong. They were wrong anyway, guys. Like, they didn't have the five best players in the LCK. Like, that, I don't even know anyone who ever thought that was the case, by the way. Even the biggest KT stand in the world surely had a couple of players from other teams in his five. You know what of I mean? Course. Surely everyone had like someone instead of BDD or something, you know, or fucking instead of Cubs. Come on, this seemed like the obvious one. Cubs is right? the most egregious one. Cubs <laughs> is the most egregious one because you, I don't even think you can make any kind of argument that Cuz deserved it more than Peanut did. I think. I mean, the I think the guy from Esports Maniacals thinks Elioya deserved it more than fucking Kostini. So, Tim, <laughs> he didn't get a vote in it. The joke <laughs> is, here's, the, here's my really base take. The only good thing about these awards is they show that objectively, left to their own, own devices, humans are incapable of actually making democracy work. <laughs> there you go. Problem solved. Basically, make me a dictator and I'll solve the whole thing for you. I'll make the fucking trains oh. run on time, boys. <laughs> Thorin for esports dictator. Exactly. History will be set set right. Exactly. <laughs> My no holes in the timeline. I'm a huge fan of God Emperor of Doom, but I just want people to like willingly give me that status. I don't want to have to actually earn it and battle for it myself. I just want to be granted <laughs> that status of universal <laughs> dictator. <timer. laughs> uh, too funny. Too funny. Um, 
You want to talk about some LCK this week, considering we saw a billion, billion best of fives and we're heading into the finals? We need to start. We need to start what I mentioned, if people haven't seen it yet, on the Competitive Edge episode where we talked about like the KT results and some of the bets that we're going to do, which is this. Dude, everyone else is laughing because they think like, lol, look at KT, they failed again. Like, wow, oh my God, T1 is back. Like, people have missed. The good news is this. The LCK playoffs look awesome now. Before it looked like it was going to be an incredibly boring. Like, for real, it looked before it, the only good match was going to be the final of KT against Gen G. That was it. So I was worried we'd have like two series I care about, which is the upper final and then the final itself. Now, I actually think for real, if you go watch any talk show, you could make a case for any of these three teams. To, you can even make a case team one wins now, by the way, guys. Like, let's be yep. real. The other teams all look like when they play them, they, it's like they're fucking all Bjergs and TSM thing. It's in the back of their heads and they're all like oh shit it's game five and t1 like, everyone looks scared of that still in fucking 2023 so i actually think what's awesome now is this first of all if you're us i'm just going to double down and say kt wins anyway i think they're going to come back yep. but i do think the awesome thing is it's going to be really exciting now it also means who knows what the seeding is going to be from korea it's like all of a sudden i'm actually sort of hyped about lck it's like i said in the competitive edge one everyone for real forgot that even though we're all complimenting faker for being this transformative talismanic character we're not then actually giving him the due that that is what he does like yeah guess what guys he's back and when he is back they are back to being really good maybe not like the peak of what they were in spring but they're still they like the transformation is mental like how quickly they got good again like this is what I, they, uh, they, they, they can win this lck t1 can we, win which seemed which, impossible uh, I, three weeks ago or even two weeks ago right yeah, I do agree with that. Uh, I think the danger is that when you when you're KT and you pick T1, like it's it's the danger. It's the same danger of picking D plus. You know what the theoretical ceiling of this team could be, and if they snap back into form, that's where it gets really scary. Even though you don't necessarily expect them to do that, and I think that given the fact that Hanwa was on the up and up, clearly we I saw them pretty awesome at the end of the split, man. They looked way more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, clearly they got exposed and we'll talk about why, uh, within the last two best of threes that they played against, uh, Genji and KT. This way, Monty. I look, I get that. It is funny that the KT then lost. Yes. But people are acting like, like there was never any logic to pick in T1. There really oh, yeah. was. There is... I'll even give yes. you another one. It's actually way better, Monty. Bear in mind, if, if they end up being good, you might have to play them twice. I'd rather play them as early in the bracket as possible when there's the least pressure. I don't want to play them in the massive pressure. That's exactly, I'm playing into their hands if I do that. Like, if I actually think I can beat them, Monty, and I am better than them, it's actually better to beat them now in, like, open semis. And then if they can beat me in the final, great. Otherwise, you don't play me again, you know? Because that's the thing I've taken from Counter-Strike from years ago. It's way easier to beat someone in a quarterfinal game than it is in, like, a big final if, they, if, they, if you handle pressure poorly. Like, you actually want to play them early in a bracket, in my opinion. I mean, you could argue that T1 doesn't do well under pressure within these finals, considering that outside of their first final together with this roster, they failed to convert in any of the big matches, right? So you could make that argument, including when they were pretty big favorites in spring and got upset by by Gen G. But I think with T1, really, the what we talked about on this show was that one of the weirdest factors of Gen G or T1 was that when Baker was out, it it was like the other players got individually worse at playing to which we theorized, hey, this is probably a motivation issue more than anything. And so if Faker comes back into this roster, they get some of their leadership in game back. Are these guys going to snap back into form? Are we going to see the Zayas and Caria that we have seen in the past? And the answer has been largely yes. You know, I think that especially against, uh, you know, in both their matches, we saw really good games, particularly out of Zayas. We saw some very clutch moments out of Caria. He arguably 
won game five with a rel engage in, in against KT Rolster, or at least he he kind of sealed the lead that was occurring uh, up around the Baron pit. And so for me, like this is this is potentially like a honeymoon phase with Faker back in for T1, even though if we're going to be honest about Faker's individual performance, he it, wasn't that good. He it hasn't been good. Games, mate. Yeah. Yeah, it if, hasn't been good. It actually doubles and triples down the idea that he's actually having some talismanic effect because it's not like you say, like he came in and he's just killing everyone. He's been sort of a bit sus actually individually. I, I think he was pretty substantially worse than both BDD and Chovy in their matchups. Uh, there's a lot of questions I think people have about Faker's champion pool. Like, can he play? Yep. Uh, even his Azir, which is his most played champion of all time, looked not very good. Uh, especially compared to BDD or Chovy's Azir, if, if, because we can only make direct comparisons to the other players that he has left to play within the playoff bracket, right? Um, he did play a game of Jace earlier on, which looked a bit ropey. Um, he likes to play Nico, and we know that T1 loves the kind of lights out Nico ult with Nocturne ult combination. It's kind of like the same thing you see with uh, with Kennen, right? Uh, historically with Nocturne, but. I'm not super convinced that Faker has the biggest depth to his champion pool right now. And honestly, we're having to see a lot of priority from T1 on selecting the Azir within the first phase of the draft. So uh, before the second round of bans, because it seems like they're really concerned about Faker getting on a kind of neutral matchup or a matchup that he prefers or a champion that he prefers. And so that could be a, I think that could be a, a problem. I mean, I think it could be a pretty big problem moving forward. Um, you know, we, we saw the Zareth from him recently into his ear. We saw the Corky versus Gen G and these were both wins. So if the enemy picks his ear, he's got something, but I'm just not convinced that Faker has the same depth to his champion pool given his injury and potentially lack of practice and honestly being in pain that he has historically had, even if he's going back to some classic matchups like Corky and his ear, uh, Corky and uh, Zareth into his ear rather. Um, and once Chovy starts busting out this tank Yone in the last couple games of the series, Faker kind of gets dominated by it. And Genji, I think, pretty easily wins the last couple games of this series. You could make an argument that there was an angle in game four for Zayas to carry through the top lane, given that Doran was really struggling on the gangplank. But Genji is used to Doran struggling in lane and playing around that and playing a smart macro game in order to get him back into a position where they can actually win. And that's what's what ended up happening. Um, it's the bad news if you T1. Especially because you didn't win the Gen G series. You've just played 10 playoff games. I feel like if you're KT, when you do the rematch now, you can be so much more cynical in your draft now, mate. You can, there's so many angles that just seem like they're laid out there as a blueprint that you can just you can force T1 into some dodgy-ass angles. Like I, I, I heavily favor KT to win this one, mate. Yeah, I think what happens, you know, what happens if you ban Azir and Nico is a really good question about Faker right now. What like what happens? What does he play? I do, I, I do think that the poppy bands are pretty necessary. Uh, if you are facing T one, not only because owners had some good games on poppy this year and historically has been a poppy player, but because poppy enables one of the most dangerous aspects of T one, which is that they will go for the twenty minute Baron almost every time. Right? They love 
to play early game pressure. And if you give them poppy, what ends up happening is that if you are even it, it, it lowers the amount of time you have to contest the objective because you have to get there faster in case the poppy old hits, because if they buy themselves an additional five, 10 seconds at the Baron, uh, they will just take it and you will not have any opportunity. So it it makes the the Baron control much more difficult for the opponent. And considering T1 is really good at finding these timing windows in order to at least force to teleport, if not just outright take a 20 to 22 minute Baron, I just don't think you give Poppy up. It's too annoying. Uh, also, it, it Poppy's extremely strong in terms of early early game ganking, and that can set up Zeus or uh, Gumiyushi and Karia for a lot of success and a potential snowball. So I wouldn't give the Poppy over, even though Genji did win against the poppy uh they did have some ropey moments particularly because peanut got pretty hard invaded early in his own jungle and that's always a, a scary moment even if peanut is one of the better junglers in the world from playing from behind due to being invaded uh which we've seen time and time again like he can fall behind early and still find a way to make himself relevant but it just seems like an unnecessary risk and i think that's why we're seeing a lot of the poppy bands come out um when teams are are playing against T1. You know, we saw a lot of that in the KT games as well, just lots of lots of poppy bands and I think that's probably the reason why. Cuz to me, like I can say the fun angle is you can make a case for all like like there's a world where Gen G's going to go back to back. Who the fuck thought that was even plausible? And by the way, if they go back to back, here's the difference. When Knight wins everything over with JDG, everyone could say you have a super team. Mate, Chovy doesn't have a fucking super team. He has a good team, but, like, Chovy really has, like, this is actually, like, his time to be crowned, like, the fucking king of Korean League of Legends. Like, mate, this is, like, I looked it up. This is, like, his eighth final he's been in now. Like, that's fucking bonkers. This guy is, like, one of the transcendent players. And the cool thing for me is he's going to get all the credit if they win in this team. Look at the squad he's got. Yeah, and think about it, too. It'd be his third title in a row. You know, it'd be, it'd be a three-peat going back to summer of last year. And uh, uh, what's interesting about that, I mean, too, that right as well, there can't be that many players have done, like, back-to-back -back and back, et cetera. Like, if you look at yeah. it, there can't be many. There can't be many. Especially because there have been roster mix-ups, too. To, yeah. to win a title with Ruler, then lose Ruler, a top-two player, if not top-one player in the world at his position, replace that player with a rookie, and then win potentially more titles than you won with Ruler is pretty crazy. That's a That's pretty nuts. Yes. Uh, and I think certainly you you do have to take the way that this roster was constructed, particularly around the cornerstones of Chovy and Peanut, really, really seriously as a duo. And uh, shout out to the coaches stuff. They've killed it, mate. Yeah, especially because Score was a, a first-time coach coming in after his military service. And we all knew that Score had obviously an incredible macro sense from his playing career. Uh, but he's really been able to translate that very well into a distinct style that works with Gen G. And we've seen Chovy's play and understanding of map movements really dimensionalize and flourish under underscores coaching. And that's been a huge, huge, huge part of that success. And Peanut also calling on this team. And I, I have, you know, as much as we might, people might criticize Peanut's individual decision making at times. I think if you if we were in a similar situation with Gen G where you removed Peanut from this roster due to injury, we would see the same faker effect occur in Gen G that uh, we, we saw with T1, which is that this team on a macro sense would look substantially worse than they than they do right now, because I think without Peanut, this team really would not function at all. Oh, I think man, this actually is reminds me. Crucial. 
If people remember a few years back in the era when Team Liquid had Doublelift and the Addict Smithy as their jungler, it's like the same context. There was plenty of reasons you could have a knock on Addict Smithy. Like his mechanics also didn't look that good anymore. He had a limited champion pool. But if you ever saw that team, he just made that team run. Like his style of jungling was just exactly what that group needed. That's the same with Peanut. Like, who, like the joke is you wouldn't replace him with anyone. Like, think about it, fans. So, who are you going to pick as the best jungler, right? Like, I wouldn't put Canavi on fucking this team. It's a totally different style of team. Like, who knows how it would work? And also, I do get the vibe along these lines. Like, he is like scores general in the fucking game, isn't he? Like, he obviously embodies the philosophy of how they want to play the game. So, it doesn't really matter that he's not the best jungler. Like, it works for this team. Like, a motherfucker, mate. Like, I said, there's a world where they're about to just go back to back to back. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That is, I think that's extremely impressive. There'll also be a lot of titles for Peanut, to be fair. People forget how many he's won now. Remember, he used to be in T1. Like, he's, he'll have quite a few championships now. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure off the top of my, my head, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of the most decorated players within the... And he was the, in Rocks as well. Yeah, he'll have a bunch. Let yep. me have a look. Yeah, he was definitely one of, the, he's been one of the most decorated players in League of Legends history. And deservedly so. He has five titles already. This will be a sixth, I think. That's pretty fucking fire right there, mate. Think <laughs> of all the different teams. He was in Rocks, SKT, Kingzone. He's been a lot of teams, mate. This guy's yeah. been around. Yeah. He's been he's been extremely successful. And even if he's not the mechanical player that he once was, I, I think he... What's surprising to me about Peanut's career is that he didn't start this way. He didn't start as the very intelligent pathing guy. He started as the flashy Leeson kick you guy. And he's he's really evolved. And you don't really see that level of evolution frequently with players who start out as kind of mechanical bozos, but then turn into <laughs> cerebral masterminds. But I, that's the arc we've seen with Peanut, which certainly puts him among the top players probably to ever play the jungle position at this point in time, especially with the number of rosters that he's played on and the different ways that he's managed to win titles. It's been really impressive. And he, he remains in spite of his flaws and his, the frustrations that I have with him at times when he can absolutely throw games, one of my favorite players. Because the thing about Peanut that I think fans really misjudge is they will look at the int moments when he loses you a game, but they also they, they won't look at moments like we saw in game five of T1 versus Gen G, where this guy is massively behind and he finds ways to get him to bootstrap himself in the game. He never gets any fucking credit for that. Think about that game last year that he had against Damwon where Canyon was just ruining his shit in playoffs in game five on the Nidalee. He was playing Hecarim. He was bullied like I've almost never seen anybody bullied out of his own jungle before. And yet he was the one who was able to find ways to make himself relevant within that game. But Pina never gets that credit. He never gets the credit for the shot calling that wins Gen G a game. He never gets the credit for being the only guy who wouldn't solo lose the game by being bullied out of his jungle, which a lot of the time, okay. by the way, isn't Peanut's fault. It's not Peanut's like his teammates will make a mistake or he won't have lane pressure and they just invade him. What the fuck do you do at that point in time? You just have, you just have to walk away as a jungler. Junglers understand that you are dependent on the pressure and your, your team's ability to come help you. And if they can't, you just have to give up that part of the map. Like there's not really a choice. You will die if you try and contest it. You will make the game worse. And Peanut's a guy that, um, you know, that can come back from these situations and really win you the game <laughs> and he's one of the only players who can do this and yeah sometimes also it is his fault that things go badly in the early game like i'm not trying to say that he can play too aggressively at times that is 100 true but 
people just like to focus on the kind of meme flaws of peanut and not actually say, okay, well, why, like, how is this guy so good? And what exactly is he providing to the team? If you know what I mean? So I'm a big peanut fan. <laughs> this is all to say, this is all to say. No, I also um, agree. Anytime anyone can completely like transform their game and basically make their strengths like their weakness into their strength is just very impressive across any sport. I always find that incredible when people can do that. Yeah. And I think if you look at the game five, some people will say that, oh, yeah, you know, if Peanut hadn't really aggressively tried to gank Faker and gone under the turret and taking those turret shots, then the invade wouldn't have been possible. But Peanut is a player who goes for the who goes for the plays a lot of the time, and he does like to play kind of aggressively. And it's been very successful for the most part. And sometimes those things are going to go awry and sometimes he's going to have a brain fart and that's not going to happen, but he can really bounce back really well from either other people's mistakes or his own mistakes um, when they're not absolutely game ending, which they are, but it's just easy to remember those moments. And I think uh, it, it's, it's uh, easier to remember those moments than the ones where he does very well, because it's much more of a subtle stage by stage coming back into a game rather than a single moment, which lost it. Uh, so I don't know. Underrated, underrated. In my opinion, I think he was absolutely to go back to our all pro conversation. The most important jungler of this split. He certainly had a lot more varied duties as a jungler than cuz did, especially from the carry side, playing a ton of Kha'Zix and having a very high win rate on that champion, as well as just playing tanks super well. Um, so shout out to peanut. He can absolutely be the reason why Gen G could win their third consecutive title. So, or maybe worlds or maybe worlds. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can handle world champion Doran. Impossible. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, the king and who cares me? Like this thing isn't <laughs> even there anymore. And now is it like, who gives a shit anymore? Top lane's ruined basically. Smack never won, but king and did who gives a shit anymore. It's like, and now I see that now I've finally adopted the level of apathy that I'm ready to be a voter in the LEC all pro list. So I also don't care anymore and actively sort of hate history now. So let me, like, I get my vote, please. <laughs> By the way, there's a real topic actually. Because remember, after watching the LPL, like, yeah, there's a world where maybe LNG could have won. But like, I'm sorry, I do think like K J JDG was almost trolling in those first games the way they drafted and played. Like, I don't think they really believed they could lose, but they still won anyway. So the real question is you have to look elsewhere in the world. Like, obviously, when KT was on top, we were billing them, but like Gen G is one of the teams of the few that actually have a chance to beat JDG. Like, there's a world like we're talking about this macro sense they have made. That can they can get ahead in some games. The obvious problem will be. You're still going to have to team fight eventually. Like, it's going to be hard. In the modern day, the real reason why I think JDG is almost inevitable to win Worlds is, man, how do you just play a whole series and never team fight them? It's, it's like, if you could do that, God bless. But I don't know how you're going to do it. Like At the moment, everyone else has tried that too. Everyone's tried getting ahead in lane or winning the draft or getting some early ganks. But eventually, you have to do the team fight. And when you do that, if people don't know, the real thing that makes JDG unfair is like Knight and Ruler relative to their role are probably the best in the world at team fighting and they're on the same fucking team oh and by the way you know 369 probably the best is role at team fighting like at the same team especially like, on tanks it's like yeah, give me that's, that's what you call pick your poison like you can't beat that because like in this scenario think of all like think of when you watch blg play monty if someone catches elk in the fight you probably won the fight right there's, there's no such person like that in fucking jdg they just win no matter what all right, so before a bunch of LPL slash JDG fans get mad at me, uh, I do think JDG is the best team in the world. 
So the point of this exercise is for me to try and find angles to beat them. Yeah, and so exactly. here, are the, here, are the, here are the angles Shut that I can see. Them. Yeah, come on. Here are the angles I can see. So if we if we take a look at the two best of fives that they played against LNG and the ways in which JDG has lost games this year, sometimes Kanavi can have a bad series. Now, that is an angle for sure that Genji can play into. Do I think that Peanut is a smarter pather than Kanavi? I do. And so is there a way that Peanut could potentially get advantages through better pathing and map pressure than Kanavi? Kanavi also has been very weak at times to invades. Like if if other junglers play super aggressively into him, he tries to fight at times and can make mistakes and actually die and then throw the game. Like this has been a thing that has happened is that when he's cornered, he doesn't play very well. Uh, And Genji's a team that could absolutely pull something like that off. if we think about the way that LNG was getting leads and arguably should have won the the first best of five, let's take game two of the first best of five between LNG and, and JDG as an example. This is a game where Zika played Fiora and got a very big Fiora lead. The reason why LNG lost that particular game was because we we saw them, you know, more or less throw the match. Um, and they were trying to engage instead of split pushing and playing out to a reasonable advantage, they were trying to really hard engage within the jungle. Um, And yeah, that, that was ultimately unsuccessful. Right. And I think that if we're talking about split pushing teams, what's fortunate for Gen G is that they are one of the best split pushing teams in the world. So if you can adequately set up side lane pressure and avoid the 5v5 team fight with split pushing champions, I could see that as a way, if you have an early lead, to beat JDG. Is it very, very hard to do that? Yes, for the reasons that you mentioned, Thorin. It is really, really difficult to, av- to avoid team fights with JDG for the entire game. And you cannot make any pressure mistakes because if you are not provide like putting on pressure and pulling their players across the map, they will group and they will fight you and they will win. And they will win from 3000 gold down. And I think that's the main conundrum that you're dealing with with JDG. I also think you can't give them Zaya. I think giving them Zaya is a massive mistake. Like this is just a team that can never be allowed to have Zaya. Ruler is simply too good at this champion and his survivability positioning ult usage is just excellent. It's the best in the, he's the best Zaya player in the world. And because he is so good at eluding death on this champion, he simply cannot be allowed to have it. You have to pick it away from him or which is what, you know, the pivot, I think, a draft that we saw between the first uh, the first best of five between LNG LNG and the second best of five was that, you know, Gala was trying to take this away or they were just they were just banning it um, when they were on blue side uh, because they wanted to get a different uh, like first, you know, first pick priority for blue. So these are things you could do. Now, if the meta changes and all of a sudden, you know, the other thing that could happen is if the meta changes and you have to go back to carry top laners, it's not that 369 can't play them. It's that it's not optimal for this team to play them. What they want to do is use 369's incredible ability to play tanks and teamfights in zone and make sure that Ruler and Knight have a lot of space in order to play their best game, right? And so if you have to play tank top laners, it might disrupt that. They might be not as good under those conditions. Unfortunately, one of the reasons why Genji probably is not going to be great uh, versus 
JDG is that Doran exists <laughs> and he's not going to be Zika in terms of getting leads on these carry champions. That's the and, saddest part about the LNG result is like the blueprint isn't there if unless you're KT basically because no one else has the top liner to do it. Yeah, uh, I, I think OBL, obviously, you know. Yeah, I think it's different because I I can see scenarios where Genji plays side lanes really well and just suffocates JDG out while avoiding team fights. Like there's a world where Kanavi gets punished early, Genji gets a 3k gold lead, uh, and then they Genji play just Chovy. Gets a and lead a, in lane and he side lanes yeah, they, they, yeah, they 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 get a they get a lead with Chovy. Chovy ends up split pushing and they apply pressure and play a very measured game and avoid team fights. Maybe they're up a couple dragons so they don't have to opt into like Drake engagements in the mid game. So there are ways, but you certainly as a Gen G fan would feel better about this. If Doran was better in lane. Like, I think that's the caveat that really gets to you is because unless Doran has a pop-off series and by the way, Dor Doran can absolutely have a pop-off best of five. He does it from time to time. Is it consistent? No. Does he have bad series in lane more frequently than he has very good series? Yes, he does. Um, but if he has a pop-off series, maybe that happens. I just think that 369 is so good at tanks that he's like solo killing people on Orn in lane or on Gragas, right? And there aren't a lot of people that are going to generate weak side leads for you in the way that 369 can and on champions that scale as well as Orn does. That's the danger of 369 is that right now with the way well, JDG is genius it is to have Orn and then you also have Ruler on your team and Knight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, we're talking about inevitability. How are you ever going to beat that team the longer the game goes? It's impossible, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's just I think what's so what feels so unfair to me about JDG is you watch the way that they play around night and and their bot lane in the laning phase. And then also at the same time, while they're doing that, 369 just gets a solo kill on Orn. You're like, well, fuck me, man. How do you beat this team? Because it's not just that 369 is one of the best, if not the very best top lane tank player in the world when it comes to team fights. It's that he's generating his own leads in lane with you doing absolutely fucking nothing. And then he's scaling harder. And then all of a sudden he's a massive late gain hyper tank Orn and you can't deal with him. Um, so maybe a meta shift is the answer. You know, maybe we, we do have to see more carry top laners. Um, LNG for all their strengths in the laning phase oftentimes didn't play out team composition win conditions very well. Uh, and that's what we saw when they got the leads, especially with big time carry split push top laners like Fiora, they couldn't convert them into wins. Part of that's JDG just being very good at playing into those, into those scenarios. But part of that's also LNG kind of sucked at, at closing. Um, and Genji won't suck it. You know, Genji has the reverse problem. I think they will suck less at closing, but they will struggle more to get the kind of leads that LNG had. The other thing as well to me is the reason why this team it actually, it's why when you find out how much they're paying for it, it almost that that's like the equalizing factor that they are paying like a King's ransom to make this lineup because it almost does feel so unfair because a lot of other people have had super teams where the players were the super team players, but the way these players fit together is just so cracked. Like if people don't know, like I said, normally when you have a, like the best player in the world at like mid or ADC, normally the whole game is just right. If we get that one guy team fights over, but 
But if you look at how they play, it's actually outrageous that, like, Knight, basically, it reminds me, if people don't know, of that Warriors team that had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry at the same time. Because the reason that team was OP wasn't just that they were two amazing players. It's that they could totally coincide at the same time, Monty. Like, basically, Steph Curry's, like, an amazing off-ball player. So he could do his whole game and not impinge on what Kevin Durant was doing. It's the same with Knight and Ruler. Like, when you watch Knight... Knight used to be the guy where everyone was going for him like the fucking cats and the laser pen trying to kill him in the team fight. But because now that's Ruler, mate, his way to play off that pressure is unbelievable. He just like holds his timings of when to go in and do the burst damage impossibly well, knowing that like I don't have to go in immediately. And then Ruler himself knows, even though I am like the central like focus, it, essentially every little like edge I can get makes us unbeatable. It's like I, people, we talked about in the past episodes, his summoner economy is mental, mate. It's like not, by default, when you're a player like him now, you do the flash instantly so you don't die. Like he is just so willing to trust his teammates and they're like and to get that like one percent extra out of a fight. When you combine these three players together from the traditional roles, like how do you beat that teammate? Like it's why I sit I've been building up this hype of like if they do the Grand Slam. Because by the way, guys, if they do the Grand Slam, I'm just gonna call them the best League of Legends team of all time. Like I think this team is unbelievably good. As a five-man lineup, it's it's bonkers how good it is. I, I think it'd be hard to argue that. I think it'd be very hard to argue that. Um, I think just the other thing that's the, very... It's the complimentary nature. I just, it almost staggers me. Because there's no way you could have known that going in. Some of this is luck, but fuck, it looks awesome now. Like, now the joke is it looks like in hindsight you knew what you were getting. I, I think the other frustrating thing about JDG is that they don't try and do fancy shit, Thorin, a lot of the time. They just play good old working class, front to back, top lane tank, you know, League of Legends. And that's a lot of way to win the game of League of exactly. Legends ever, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. It's the yes. most fundamental way to win. It's potentially the least interesting way to win, but it's the most classic way to win. But here's the problem, Thorne. Here's the problem that you come up to when you're doing the JDG. Normally, very good teams have specific quirks. Like we could say, Gen G is so good at controlling gold on the map. They are getting all of the enemy jungle. They're getting more lane minions than their opponents. They're playing all the lanes. They're manipulating the wave super well. They're creating side lane pressure. They are doing very, very fancy macro, right? Or, you know, it's KT. They're running these pick compositions. Here comes the Twisted Fate. It's a weird pick, but they have this kind of niche way that they're going to prevent you from ever grouping around objectives, right? So we talk about, or or T1. Uh, they're forcing the Baron early. You're, they constantly, can, you know, T1 is very good at controlling the tempo of the game and forcing you to react to them. And that creates mistakes from the enemy team because they're all on the same page under Faker's guidance, mind control, shot calling, et cetera, et cetera um that goes on and so they're good at creating vision traps controlling vision now it's not that jdg isn't also good at these things the thing is that they don't they just don't have to be because when you're playing a team like gen g if you are an underdog and you play classic front to back team fighting maybe you can beat them because they're playing a split push champion you can catch them out of position the very frustrating thing about playing jdg is i don't think any team can beat them in front to back team fighting and considering how much of the game right now revolves around forcing team fights around either soul point, soul, or early barons, it feels inevitable that you have to play JDG into their style. It's at one point or another in the game, unless you have a massive advantage uh, in the early game that you can force them to kind of march to the beat of your drum instead. But having a team that is just so dominant at the very fundamentals of League of Legends makes the game feel hopeless. 
because you almost feel like there is no scenario where you go into an even team fight, either 4v4 or 5v5, and you win that. And I, I don't know if I've ever seen another team like that, frankly. And that's like, if you go in even. By the way, just go watch the games where they're ahead. They absolutely curb stomp people. It's actually outrageous how hard they beat people. <laughs> and also, let's add this in. We're in the era as well, as people have seen all year long, where the wrong team fight loss just wipes your whole team and the game's yep. over. Like, yep. that's also brilliant. Think about this other eras, like I've said in the past, where it's more like Brood One. It's like, you know, you lose areas of the map, so you lose the That's the other thing. You're playing the best team fighting team maybe ever. And if you make the one wrong mistake at the end, there's no there's no net underneath it's just done you lose you fall off the tight rope you're dead you're and dead. oftentimes we we talk about how upsets happen and a lot of upsets happen because a team is playing a poker a split push comp a very good team and they end up in a 5v5 tanky frontline front to back team fight right like that's how you can upset teams you will never upset jdg doing that you won't do it so <laughs> when they have mastered when there's a tier above in the very like most fundamental way of league of legends the burden on you to beat them is absolutely enormous because it is much harder to do to try and do what LNG was doing against them. It is much harder to play out those scenarios of split pushing in the late game than it is for JDG just to walk onto a Baron and force you into a team fight or to this control vision and force the force the the you know five v five. In my opinion, this is why the T one of the spring never actually fulfilled its potential because the downside they had is in contrast to what you're talking about now, Monty. Their style was way harder to execute. They had to be flawless to make their style work. They had to create these incredibly artificial game states from which they could not fight an opponent and fucking do all that crazy shit. Like you're saying, the problem is the game itself, that JDG isn't going against the grain, they're playing right into how the game wants you to play. That's what makes them unbeatable. And also, bear in mind, guys, that they haven't lost to anyone in a best of five. There is no actual blueprint. Like, even the blueprint lost. So in this scenario, they're on some like anime Dragon Ball Z villain shit where you throw all your ropes at them and then you're like, oh, finally they're dead. And then that smoke just feels like... <laughs> <laughs> you they haven't even been touched to scratch have they you fuck that yeah <laughs> yeah i i think it's very hard so I'm, it, I'm just making the dragon balls you know he's not here anymore is he he's, someone call him i called ls you didn't, you didn't pick up the phone oh <laughs> uh, um yeah i think i think it's i think it's really rough to, to, even to shadow box it in your mind i think you just have to hope that like top lane tanks go away but i don't think they're going away and the the problem is is that at least with jdg 369 is playing gragas top even in a meta now where that's a fringe meta pick and he's incredibly dangerous on it um i i struggle to imagine a scenario where you can't just like play orn like you here's the thing about league of legends you can always just kind of play orn top lane no matter what <laughs> he's a very safe laning champion. He literally can just build items in lane. <laughs> like, you know, he just stands there and builds items. And, you, you know, you, you're not pressured in the same way to make the, I mean, to it's make the ultimate weak side champion, isn't it? Because of what yeah, he does for yeah. the rest of the team. It's actually a genius design, but I think it's one of the better designs Riot's come up with. Yeah, I think Orn's design is cool, yeah, but it, there's almost never a time where Orn isn't meta. Right, or at least you can kind of play him regardless. I mean, in even that if, sense, if you really a, want to, it's a bit like gangplank in that sense. If you're some like specialist like Alfari, you can always make an angle work if you really need to force it. You know, like there's always going to be a matchup where you can sort of get it to work because you're so good on it. You know. Yeah. 
So I don't know. It's I, I think it's this is we we did this exercise to talk about just how good JDG is, and even when they've come close to losing a couple times, like they did versus T1 at MSI, or uh, they did twice to LNG. And I think what what's even more depressing if you want JDG to lose or encouraging if you're a JDG fan is arguably the first best of five was JDG having a bad day against LNG. Like Kanavi had a bad day in that series and they still won and they still won. So what kind of bad day does this team have to have in order to lose is my oh, next question. So let's just throw this in there. It's not like LNG are just bombs. They did have like the reigning MVP. <laughs> Who was that cracked out in a bunch of even the games in the final? Even like, th- if you still can't win after that, what what does make you win? Like they in I both mean, four series, scouted a bunch of games. He was doing awesome. He's doing a yeah, scout, gas. Scout and Tarzan synergy is better than Knight and Kanavi synergy. Like they are able to generate more early game advantages, generally speaking, and that is the strength of this team. But th- let's talk about LNG. What did LNG even have to do to get to this level? Zika had to power up massively and have an insane end of the season playoff run crazy confidence level for a relatively new player in order to go through and like try and play Fiora into Orn matchups and three, six, nine and generate those mad balls, mad balls from Zika. And he, he's been the weak side dude. If you know what I mean, like that has been kind of his identity and they were really pushing him to carry these games and it was working. Uh, They had to replace, they had to get Gala by the way, Gala in a Kaisa meta. Okay. So it certainly helps, right? <laughs> it's not yes. that he was playing a lot of Kaisa, but you do True. have to take it away from him yeah, or ban it a lot of the time. So it warps the draft, especially when Kaisa is, you know, potentially the best champion in the oh, fucking game. <laughs> uh so, you know, you have you have these considerations as well to deal with. Like, you know, JDG did have to ban Kaisa on on red side because obviously LNG was going to be first picking that if it was available. Um so yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot that was going for LNG. It felt like they were primed for success. And even with everything seemingly going right and things going about as bad as we have seen them go for JDG, which is to say not super bad, but like Kanavi kind of sucked in the first best of five. Um, they still won. So how do you beat them? So it's, I think it's really tough. And especially because most people would say rightfully so that m- the LPL teams do look stronger coming into worlds on average than what we're going to see from Korea. You know, I think the fourth seed from Korea, whether it's Hanmo or D plus is, is going to be terrible, like worse than Weibo and arguably the top seed. If, if KT collapse in these playoffs, like KT needs to win the rest of their matches very convincingly for us to even, I think, have a shred of belief that there's going to be any kind of challenge to the top teams of the LPL, because the problem with T1 and Gen G is that they have very obvious flaws where KT doesn't really have those outside of not being able to put the other teams with obvious flaws away. Right. And let's see if they can do it. I, I will say this, I am for me on the Hanwell one, at least they have this one upside, which is because of the format, like in a bunch of BO1s, they could win a lot of BO1s, mate. Like people like Zika and Viper, like you can get the right champions and win a BO1. My problem yeah. with them is I don't know what they could do in bracket play. Like, who are they gonna beat? <laughs> who like what what team can they possibly play they can beat? You know what I mean? Like, I can't see all the LPL top teams will beat them. The thing about Hanwa is that Hanwa will on like NA teams in particular. And the reason why is because 
they play the NA style of do nothing and wait for the other team to throw into you and like scale into late game. You have, you know, and KT, KT switched their strategy that we saw against T1. I think to, you said this earlier, Thorne, that I agree with you, which is that it felt like KT was very cocky coming into the T1 series. They were, they were just picking Renekton all over the place. They were playing Renekton into really shitty matchups. And on top of that, Keen was having a very bad day. Zayas was having a very good day. Zayas has looked good in the playoff yeah, matches. They did look so like Keen said to his coach, like, I could do whatever I want in my picks. Exactly. And they didn't even try to do a cynical draft, did they at all? Come on. <laughs> and I think Zayas has been kind of bad at points yeah, in this split. Sort of get it, but so... it just looked really fucking bad at the end. He was egg on your face for sure. Yeah, it, Keen looked bad. And I think after that series, what happened with Keen is that he immediately went over to Orn duty uh, versus Hanwa. Like, we saw a big shift in their strategy where he just plays a bunch of tank games, effectively. I mean, he plays Orn. He plays Poppy. By the way, his first career game ever on Poppy was in this series. And then he plays Cassante into King and Zatrox. And he does very well in all of these games. He does very well. And so we see KT shift into a different more front to back kind of standard strategy and i think they they looked much better prepared but the reason i think why they did this versus hanwa is they said okay hanwa if you want to play this game where grizzly just avoids the enemy jungler and doesn't gank and you just kind of guys play for late game we will do the exact same thing but we're going to do it with zeri and orn and viego and we're just going to outscale you like if you want to play early game avoidance We'll do it. We opt into that. We will beat you with better scaling and better team fighting in the late game. And they did. And ultimately, Hanwa had no answer to this. By the time game three rolls around, they realize what's going on. They put Grizzly on Lee Sid and they say, OK, we have to do something early because these guys are just outplaying us in the mid and late game. Doesn't happen there either. And the series is over. But KT's strategy, I think, was very solid, which is just to say, like, OK, Hanwa, you want to do this? Fine. But the point is, is that. To beat Hanwha, you have to do one of two things. You either have to be very active and get leads in the early game, or you have to just have confidence that you're going to outplay their team fighting in the late game, which a team like KT can do, but not other, like Western teams can't do that for the, for the, for the most part. You know, they That's don't have a player as good as Viper. Like, I actually do think for real, I know people think that like Wolf overhypes him or whatever. I don't think Viper is at all overhyped. Like, I think he checks out on the eye test like a motherfucker. Yeah, he's, he's great. The, the real problem he has is that he plays AD carry. And if you play that role, I'm sorry, there will always be some component, otherwise the role wouldn't be balanced, of you can't get all your own leads just by yourself. You can't 1v9 the game as AD carry. You need your team to do something to get you to a point in the game where then you take over. Like, the real problem like you're saying, Monty, is he's in the worst sort of team for that. Like you said, they do nothing. They just hope that they get to that point. So, like, that that will work if you do it against, like, LCS, LEC, but good luck doing that against the LPL, mate. Like, they're just going to run you over. You just, you're never going to be in a position to win these games. But this is all to say, I think Hanwha, if they go, will be kind of consistent against, because the thing is, is that if you send D plus, like, yeah, D plus can get some early leads, but they are sloppy as hell in the mid and late game. They take stupid fights like they can lose to bad teams uh, if the other team is grouped and they aren't and they don't have vision control and they opt into some of these engagements. If you go into a neutral like a, a mid or late game and a kind of approximately equal game state with Hanwha life and you are just worse at team fighting, you're just going to lose to Hanwha. Like that's that's just how it goes. That's how they win games. So you have to be, you have to have a plan to like punish Grizzly early or aggressively gank the lanes. Cause if you just sit back and just let them roll, 
you you have to outscale them or outplay them later. And I just don't think a lot of Western teams are going to be able to do that. Um, Which is you obviously know, all moot because we all know DRX and Beryl are going anyway. There's the fourth seed right there. Four of these motherfuckers. Fourth seed, fourth world's finals. All right. Well, Thorin, I'm glad you brought that up because if you are a believer, if you are, if you are the ultimate believer that that is true, if you are a complete what? psychopath uh, and you think that what Thorin is saying is possible, if well, you, you should be beyond doubt. Exactly. Go on. <laughs> You should go to esports bet right now because the odds that not that DRX is going to qualify for worlds, just the odds that they beat D plus in the first round on, of the regional qualification are 10.076. Oh, that's it. That's it. I'm oh, sorry. You've activated the barrel power spike. They're winning that. I'm going I'm to go right now and place a bet. I'll do it on Twitter after this game. I will bet on DRX to win that series. Because that's me. 10 to 1 odds. You got it for the memes, guys. You got to. Believe, believe in barrel. Believe in barrel. So that, is, that isn't even just for them to qualify for Worlds. That is literally just for them to beat their first opponent in D+. It is now 10.076. Um, but... If you want, actually want a match you could win, speaking of this, KT versus T1 is coming up. It is Last Three Nations match of the week. What that means is if you've signed up with our referral link, which you can find below, uh, you can get an additional 10% profit on your first uh, bet on the match of the week up to $100 USDT. Yeah, or it's or it's equivalent in another yes. cryptocurrency. And right now, KT's at 1.629 to 2.318 for T1. I think KT is probably a pretty heavy favorite going into this one. So you get some pretty good odds there. Oh, there's a mega odds. Uh, you get some pretty good odds there. And uh, yeah, by the way, if you guys just want to play for free, you can still get the 10% bonus using esports coin, which is the free currency that uh, esports bet gives out. And you can get limited time. So go now. Uh, promotion for them is that if you join their Discord, they'll give you 10,000. If you follow Esports Bet on Twitter, they give you 5,000. And if you follow them on Instagram, they give you another 5,000. So up to 20,000 Esports coin. All you have to do is do those things and then message the mod mail on their Discord or just message customer support on their website with that information. They'll credit it to your account. You can play along with us, have some fun. And Esports coin can be transferred into USDT later on. So there's a chance for you to, um, you know, make some cryptocurrency off of that as well. It's fun. Play along. Have a good time. Uh, you can outright bet XL to uh, win the season finals at what nine odds? I think we did on Competitive Edge, which is the betting show we do over on the Esports Bet YouTube channel, which you should also subscri subscribe to. Um, yeah, fun, fun stuff. You can. I actually think as well. By the way, this bet of the week, this one KT against T1, I actually think might be one of the best bets we have ever featured. The, the best one clearly was when KT played Gen G and we got like KT at like two point something odds or something outrageous <laughs> like that. But this yeah. one's pretty mega because think about the angle we've created here, guys. Because they've already played T1 and lost and T1 already gets insanely bet on by fans anyway, we've got a scenario where me and Monty actually have KT as like a solid favourite here. And you're going to get to bet on the favourite to win a best of five, like 1.6 something odds. Like you can't ask for better than that like this is actually a mega angle in my opinion like i'm super comfortable taking those kt odds and the better team you know so many yeah. are going to get in a best of five which is really hard for the underdog to win 1.6 something odds that's massive <laughs> i think it's a mega angle mate my favorite one was getting kt as the underdog in the last telecom war or the the the, fir the first telecom yeah. war i should say this is the one where where faker was was still playing um that was great but yeah your point too about kt being underdogs against gen g that was another fun one um I think in the rematch too, 
the what would characterize this series on both sides, honestly, was really weird early deaths, like Zayas dying early or aiming in the hens dying early. There were a lot of very strange early game states that came out of these matches where each team was, I think, playing too aggressively at times and giving up pretty massive leads to the opponent. I don't I think we'll see more measured play. As we said, I don't see think we're going to see Keen with all of the cocky picks. Like, for example, the game he got mega clapped as Renekton because they left the rumble up for some reason. And not only on top of that, I think it's it's very difficult because aiming Lehens tried a very strange like level one all in when the wave the first wave crashed in bot lane, lost it, died, and then you know it's very hard to help Keen in a tough matchup when you have two sides of the map that are already losing that early in the game. And so it was a pretty easy win for, for T1 overall, especially when Gumiyushi is able to snowball off the Draven because Aiming and Lehens are doing this weird all-in. I don't know what the fuck they were doing in that game, but I just don't think we're going to see that kind of play again. I think KT, you know, they tried to use T1's tricks against them. They wanted to play the Nico-Nocturne combo. This isn't what KT does. Like, this, like they're trying to take things away and, and use T1's weapons against them instead of playing to their own strengths. So the whole thing was just very strange. Um, it was very strange. And also, Game 5 was very winnable for KT. It was a really big play by Caria that turned things around. I think, I think KT's going to go in with a lot more respect. They also have a lot more film now of what happened, like how the team is playing with Faker than they did previously. Because when Faker came back, they were T1 was playing against shit teams, guys. There was not really good information there. Now there's two best-of-fives um of of narrow best of fives against t1 and also i mean obviously they played uh before kt as well so there's that information but you're gonna have a week to digest this and really craft a game plan and we saw kt come with a much better game plan against hanwan i think that's what's going to happen again i think you try and pinch fakers champion pool see if you can get advantages there um it's good to see that BDD played his first game on Jace earlier in the split. He actually played his first three games ever as Tristana in the T1 series, and he looked very good on Tristana for a player who's never played it professionally before. I thought he looked excellent. So that's a that's another arrow in their quiver. They just have much better depth of their champion pools right now, and you just have to be you just have to play a slower game in the bot side and just be more cognizant about top lane matchups. And I think T or I think KT will do a lot better. Because I mean, like, uh, to, just to really put the emphasis point, by the way, you can see this if you go watch the competitive edge episode where we actually point out you can do the handicap bet for KT as well. But I do think like they will handedly win this series. Like, I think it'll be 3-1, 3-0. They'll go to yeah. the final. I hope the final, though, is a bad one. Like, there's a real potential for KT, Gen G to be mega. I think it could be a great final. Yeah, and I know talking to Wolf as well, he's really hoping that KT performs because... As somebody, you know, Wolf just loves, obviously, he loves Korea and the Korean region. And KT hasn't been to an international event since like 2018. And so, team, yeah, yeah, there's there's a, a lot of newer fans have just never seen KT yeah. uh, perform internationally. And he wants to, you know, he kind of wants the region to be more than a two team region where it's just been Gen GT1, Gen GT1 for the last couple of years. And I, I suppose, obviously, without DRX winning worlds, but I mean, that was not a likely scenario. <laughs> and honestly, because DRX was fraudulent and ended up now being terrible, like there's no longevity to that. So for the most part, fans on the international stage have just been exposed to Dom1, T1, and Gen G for a number of years now. And so having a strong KT who, you know, this iteration of KT, if they re-sign these players, now most of them are going to be free agents at the end of the split, but 
if they can continue to put strong rosters forward and do well and at least qualify and perform well at international tournaments, it'll strengthen the fan base of the LCK overall. Um, because it, it right now it's like people are mostly familiar with like Showmaker, Faker, and Chovy, and not so much other players. It'll also just be wild if like BDD wins worlds. Like, think about that. Like, he he's always been on the line for me. For me, he's like the gatekeeper, great Korean mid. But like, this could be his chance with like a renaissance towards the end of his career to actually just win the fucking the whole thing. You know what's bonkers, Thorin? Is there actually is an alternate reality where um he wins with Gen G? Oh, it could have happened in theory. Yeah, they just, the problem is that team. Yeah, but- they really were chokers internationally, in my opinion. They just they just collapsed mentally every time they got to a worlds. You know. I mean, I think BDD had an insane performance at the worlds he went to. Um, at the worlds he went Season to 11. with Genji, uh, yeah, twenty twenty one. The one where they played um, Cloud Nine, you mean? Yeah. Um, I thought he did. I thought he was amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, at at that event. Um, and you know, you'll remember that that was the year uh, EDG won worlds, and they almost beat <laughs> they almost beat EDG yeah, in the semifinals. Um, yeah. It was a really, really close series, and BDD absolutely popped off. You know, there's a world where it was a Genji Damwon Kia final um, that year, and obviously then a Korean team wins. And Genji, I think Genji massively overperformed uh, that year, so we could have already seen it potentially, but not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'm more interested in Keen winning a world's title, personally. <laughs> and then the other angle, I've referenced it before, but I'll expand it. Bear in mind, Yagao also is Chinese. The question really becomes, is this the year that a Chinese mid laner wins worlds? And obviously, I'm being cheeky there, aren't I, because of season two? Whatever. <laughs> Figure that one out yourself, guys. Figure that one out yourself. It's all good. Figure that one out yourself. It's all good. <laughs> but it could happen. Too the point funny. is, not all Yagao could win. Could happen. That would be the uh, biggest blue balls of all, by the way. BLG never beats JDG ever the whole year and then just steals worlds from them. That, that would be so insane, wouldn't it? That would be I would, hate, I would hate that timeline. I, I would know. hate that timeline. Because like, I, I want, if, if a Chinese team is going to win, I want it to be JDG so that we can just say, like, this is the best team ever. Yeah. Holy shit, they did the Grand Slam. What, what a great storyline. Yeah. Uh, I, I really just hope, you know, PLG doesn't come and leave a title from them. It's the reason why last year it was a bomber the way that Gen G lost in the semis. Because when you have a team that's like to make a narrative like that isn't done in one step. You have to have like the dominance, then you have to have like the style, then the players look strong enough. Then it's like they get to this point. Like when that gets ruined, DRX's narrative isn't as good when they then win. Even though it was super like outrageous, they won that it doesn't have the same momentum to it. So the real issue here is JDG has done all these check boxes all the year long. Like if someone else wins it, it doesn't quite work the same way. It'll still be great, but that that it would be such an awesome narrative for the history of League of Legends if JDG does the career grand slam, the, the the year grand slammer wins everything. I think it would just it would it would be like an interesting like first of all interesting contender for best team ever. Like I say, Chinese team with Chinese mid laner wins worlds. Like it would just be such an interesting like demarcation point in history. I think it also could mean a lot actually for Chinese League of Legends. Like I say, it means you don't have to just only have the Korean imports. Look, you have still got Kanavi and Ruler, but it, it is different when you let the mid laner be Chinese guys. That is the, the position in history that's won everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Let's, uh, our, our producer Andrew has alerted us to the fact that some news just dropped about the LCS versus LEC qualifying series, Thorin, uh, which finally has a date 
and a location. So previously it was said it was going to be played in North America. We touched on this in Power Spike a little bit because uh, we theorized that it was going to actually end up taking place in Korea. Uh, it will be taking place in Korea on October 9th. And what that means, for those of you who don't know, play-in starts on the 10th. So it is literally the day before okay. play-in starts. And I, th I think the reason for this change is that this obviously we know golden guardians are going right now we're not going to know for a while which lec team is going to be joining them in that matchup but there was going to be a problem where golden guardians basically can leave right now they could leave today and go start their boot camp in korea and that was going to give potentially a massive advantage to the lcs team even if they had to fly back to the united states in order to do this match and also, if they had to fly back to the States to do this match, it was going to have to be way earlier than October 9th because a lot of the production crew needs to be ready to, like, go to Korea, I would imagine. And they have to have enough time to, like, fly the teams out and then fly the teams over to Korea. So probably it would have happened a week earlier at the earliest, like October 2nd would probably be a feasible time in order to put this map match if it was going to be in Los Angeles to give times the teams time to play it and then get to Korea afterwards because whichever team wins has to go to play-ins on October 10th. So this is all to say, if you guys are confused, that this is a good idea from Riot and it will allow the LEC team ample time to go to Korea and boot camp and prepare for this match as well. The match will just be played in Korea, which is good um, because both teams will be no jet lag, practiced up in the environment that they need to be in and they can immediately roll into the plans. So I like what they've, they've done with this. I think it's the logical choice to give uh, not a huge competitive, competitive advantage to golden guardians. Now, could this have been avoided with better scheduling from the LEC? Yes, but here we are here. And I think this is the best decision that could be made given the circumstances. And also, it means that even if you lose the match, Monty, you didn't really, but you sort of get to feel like you went to Worlds, you know. You still get to go to Korea, at least. That's something. By the way, you will also benefit from going there and scrimming a bit. You get something out of it. Yeah. Also, the point you make is probably not irrelevant to sponsors either. Yeah, to, for sure. To basically, because there's going to be a lot of hype around this, and yeah. they're basically just saying that Worlds is starting one day earlier, and it feels more incorporated, at least. I don't count play-ins as real Worlds, but it no, feels no, more I, incorporated I into at least play-ins. Um, By the way, along those lines, if I were them, I wouldn't just treat this as some, like, you know, like, we've got to just get this done, and then we've got to... Dude, this should actually have, like, a spectacle. This could be awesome. Oh, yeah. It's like a one-off cool game. Like, we've all been waiting years for these fucking uh, LEC versus LCS, like, best of five. So let's have an awesome one. I mean, because here's the thing. We had that one last year that was, like, the Mad Lions versus EG one. That was all right. But, like, because it was planes, people probably forgot that even happened. Make it like that. I actually think, for real, you should almost make this, like, half WWE. You should do all trash talk segments and stuff and have all the casters be hella biased, et cetera. Just make it fun. Just make it fun. Yeah, I think that'd be really that'd be really great. The thing that I'm wondering, Thorin, is when do you put the time of this match? <laughs> oh, because in theory you want it to be the Western audience, you mean, right? <laughs> my yeah, my main question, Thorin, is at what point in time do you schedule this game so people could actually watch it? Can North America watches the problem, right? Isn't that what's going to fuck? Right. You? If you want, if you want North America and Europe to watch it simultaneously, like. You know, you may have to start this game, no joke, at like 9 p.m. Korean time, right, okay. which would be 5 a.m. on the West Coast of America and 8 a.m. on the East Coast and 2 p.m. in Europe. 
because otherwise there's not really the, the problem with doing the three time zones things is never good for one of the oh, time zones. Yeah. So you really have to bend this. Like there's a world actually, I think even when they start this best of five at like 10 PM in Korea, even if you do, were to do it super early in the morning, you know, it's 7 AM in Korea, it'd be midnight in central European time. So I don't know when you do this, man, it, it's, well, the it's reason really why rough. Quite acutely novice is because remember there used to be many years where I lived in Europe and was doing the short at two in the morning. Monty was in Korea doing it at like, I don't know, eight in the morning or whatever it was there. And then our guests would be from North America. And then they just got to be up at like fucking, you know, like gosh, 10 PM. This is brilliant guys. Like, well then we were just getting wrecked every episode, weren't we? Like it's outrageous back then. Cause our triangulation was ridiculous. We're all around the world. Well, we'll 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 really enjoy going back to that when I'm in Korea for seven months later this year. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna go back to Korea for a while, guys, and uh, just hang out for a bit because world basically, you know, worlds being there makes the time zone a lot easier, and also I just want to go back for a little and while. So. It also turned out. That if you just look on the timeline, you know, as people on Reddit always tell me, Monty, correlation does not equal causation. But even so, all I'm going to say is when Monty left Korea and stopped filleting all those dicks, they got a lot worse at League of Legends. Maybe Monty, you know, like the saliva of like an animal can have like healing properties in it. Maybe Monty essentially was giving back to the Korean scene. He was making them big. He was the fluffer of the Korean scene, basically. There you go. So I was the fluffer. That's what true. you want. Yeah. So if Monty goes back, maybe it's a Korean dynasty again. Maybe they go back to the top. Who knows? Uh, it, it was it, it, my correlation with the downfall of Korean success at World Championships was directly. It is directly yes. correlated to the time I wasn't in Korea, yeah. guys. I, I will put that out there. All I'm um, saying is, you know, Monty's been promising he won't get too excited about KT. All I'm saying is that they might win LCK. He's going to bloody move back to Korea. Like, yeah, oh, fucking <laughs> hell, okay. Stop the whole planet, mate. You obviously love him. <laughs> <laughs> I was the talisman. I was the talisman they needed. <laughs> I was. I ward off the skill vampires. Actually, guys, maybe maybe because I'm American. When I go to Korea, all the skill vampires just attach to me instead of the Korean players. Maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> um, but if you enjoy interesting stories about vampires, then you might enjoy The Hunger, <laughs> a movie we just reviewed today on the LFN Culture <laughs> Channel as part of Foreplay, which features Richard Lewis. It's a film starring David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve <laughs> and also Susan Sarandon. It's an 80s movie about sort of a mixture of like a unique take on vampirism with sort of like social fame and veneer aspects. So basically, check out the LFN Culture Channel. Yeah, which you guys should do anyway, because we've got uh, the Nerd Legion show over there where Doe and I suffer through The Witcher and Secret Invasion. But we, we're doing Willow this week, so that's fun. That's going to be fun, at least. And we have been doing, uh, we just finished our cosmic horror arc, and we're on to 1980s vampire movies. It was The Hunger this week, Fright Night next week, Lost Boys week after that, uh, and then Near Dark after that. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. So go check it out. And by the way, guys, when I say Willow, I don't mean the Disney Plus TV show. I mean the original movie where that show has been revoked. We just got, Doe and I got tired of watching really bad shit. And so we decided to go back to a, a different movie this week. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. Also follow uh, LFN Culture on Twitter and Last Free Nation Culture on Instagram and TikTok. 
our, a lot of our videos have been really popping off over there. So By the way, here's fun. my analogy. It's a bit mean, but that's well within my wheelhouse. My analogy for Dora goes like this, guys. So you know how his whole take might seem really jarring to you? Because it's like, on the one hand, all this stuff that already was incredibly pulp, just fan service shit sci-fi, already you'd think well, that's not really that good. But his whole take's like, no, no, that was great. But the modern stuff, that's all just <laughs> trash, isn't it? Like, just cynically made to cash in. So the real joke is this, Monty. I actually saw this. This is totally legit, like my anecdote. I recently saw a radio, right? You know the drum and bass group, Pendulum, who was obviously huge in like the 20s, yes. 2010s, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? If people don't know, they were an incredibly commercial group. Like, actually, even though they came from drum and bass, they themselves were a massive chart success, yeah. massive tour, right? I saw a video, because they did like a comeback recently to do some drum and bass stuff, Monty, and I saw a video, and the top comment, for real, was someone like... Ah, this is the time. I remember when they ruled the world pendulum, course, modern music. It's all gone to the dogs, has it? It's like, oh, I'd get it if you were like a fan like Led Zeppelin. You're saying this about pendulum or me. Like, like what, 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 what fucking barbarians at the gate moment are you envisioning when all that was holding us back for high art was fucking pendulum? And now they're fucking, they're not like the modern kids or whatever. Like, bro, come on. We, we, the scale is too off on this one. So it, it, that is probably the best feature of that show, if people don't know. It's like finding out how Dora maintains the cognitive distance of liking some stuff that did have like Wookiees and, and Ewoks and that. But then going, no, no, that's, that's art. But then going like, bloody Mandalorian season two. I don't know about that. It's a bit too far for me. I just love how, seeing how he's going to do that, how he's going to manage that distance. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. That's yes, all I'm going to say. It is. Because yes. <laughs> really, yes. if, we're, if we're honest, if we're honest, guys, Star Wars has two and a half good movies two and a half uh because we don't fuck with ewoks if you like that those shows you've got to know which by the way door, door does not some of it's guilty pleasure isn't it it's just sort of like you love it because you were a kid we all get it yeah uh which by the way spoiler uh kind of my opinion about willow so <laughs> mm-hmm. when i i hadn't seen that movie in probably 20 years and i i i thought to myself I would rather be watching The Princess Bride right now. The problem <laughs> is, it's aged just, much better. If you know the era, it's just the bad version of those movies. Princess Bride, yep. Legend, all that classic era of like awesome fuck Baron Munchausen. The problem is, it's worse than all of those. It is. It hasn't yeah. aged that well, mate. Unfortunately, I, I actually brought that up where I was like, I think Legend is better than this movie. <laughs> it is. Legend's a good the movie. Cast, the cast is great. And awesome, also, Ron Howard directed it. And uh james horner did the score like there's an incredible talent in willow it's just yeah. deployed kind of badly uh but anyway you guys can watch that it'll be coming out in a day or two it's all to say please go exactly. subscribe to those channels um the content's really good guys it, it is really good and it, what's fun about uh doing the the uh you know watching along with four plays you can watch along week by week with us and we're actually picking movies we enjoy or at least think are interesting and unique yes. um or relevance, like have have his you know legacies that perpetuate through film and discussing those. So it's kind of like a movie club that you guys can watch along with. So I know a lot of people have said they've really enjoyed that. If you want to get more into cinema, we do pick some kind of fringe stuff at times, um, as well as some classics that kind of inform you about the history of a genre or the history of film overall that you kind of have to see in order to put other things in context. So it's been a lot of fun. We we really enjoy doing that show. Also, we uh, figure you guys will vibe in terms of the ambience with a show like Willow because it's all about people risking everything, going all this toil, trouble, blood, sweat, and tears just for some little baby, but enough about double lift of the LCS. There you go. Uh, right, still got it. Still got it, mate. That's aged very well. Okay. <laughs>
Oh, uh, by the way, we should do this to be fair because we haven't done anything about the West. I'm just going to take my moment to just crow for a woman. I told everyone, you're b- here's what here's the one problem people have is this, Monty. This is actually why I do the like historian thing. No, this is the main problem people have with esports <laughs> history. They are incapable of looking at the bigger picture. All everyone does in esports is ride last week's results. So one of the worst examples I've seen is people forget where they began. You know, like I just said about T1 there, right? Look, I also thought they would be worse, but people were acting like they were going to be the T1 without Faker, but just with Faker thrown in then they had no chance to beat anyone. Well, in doing so, you yourselves have missed your own narratives because that's not where they were two and a half months ago. They were one of the best teams in the career, and it's just like you might have thought KT was a bit better, maybe Genji's like a bit better or equal. Like In the same sense, I think one of the weirdest narratives was this Evil Geniuses one in LCS Pro. Look at the lineup they started this split with. Even if you're the biggest revenge fan in the world, you didn't think the team was going to be top two. That's like an insane overperformance. Like, to me, if you look at Evil Geniuses, one, they definitely benefited from a lot of the other rosters shitting the bed. People like NRG and Flycoast were just bleeding out of the arse at the beginning of the split. People like TSM took a while to get together. Like, basically, it was only Cloud9 and Golden Guardians were like their true competition. TL was dodgy as fuck. Like, basically, everything was set up to make EG look good at the beginning. And, mate, every, say, two weeks, they've just gone down and down and down and down and down. And by the end... This is why I hate that people don't put the context in. The actual story at the end of the split is mad props to Revenge, to fucking Kelsey Moser, to some of the people who are like Unforgiven. These are the people who get credit. Like, it wasn't actually in a world-class team, guys. There's no that If they'd have made Worlds, it should have been as fourth or third seed tops. Like, they, this is not a team that should have been in the LCS final. So, like, I'm going to crawl a little bit because everyone else just kept riding it like they're going to be really good. Like, I don't hate on, like, the squad. The squad did the best they could. I actually think they overperformed. The fact they were even in with a shout to, like, be in Worlds was pretty good. But I do think... People rode this team too hard. Like they benefit from other people's failures, in my opinion. It's also that I think people have misdiagnosed a lot of the issues from EG. Like Jojo Pian, it was really easy to tell that he was playing well because they would often be right. Yeah. I think I think he's certainly an MVP candidate, if not an MVP front runner. It's like him and Berserker, I would say, are the strongest candidates for split MVP. Um, so it was very clear when they were doing well that it was through Jojo Pian kind of carrying these games. He played great. But I think people, especially, and I think it's going to get worse now in retrospect, because Revenge did legit have a very bad series against Team Liquid. Like, he got he got clapped. Um, there's not, not really another interpretation of that. Summit put him in the grave. Um, it was disappointing, especially to me, who is like somebody who really likes Revenge as a player and who has been... I've been one of his most vocal supporters because I think he's kind of very much underrated. Not to say that he's the best top laner in the league. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he is a very valuable piece of the LCS because he's a native carry top laner who was on a bad team for a long time and looked good in many performances. And he looked good at at various times throughout this split. Um, But you also have to consider the other pieces he's dealing with. Remember that Evil Geniuses has been subbing Shaden and Armeo out, in and out, in best of fives. He has no stability from the jungle position. Isla is bad, guys. I don't know how to tell you this. Isla oh, is not way, a good remember player. Remember that, Monty. Remember, let's just rewind a little bit. Remember on the first few weeks of the split? No, no. We were all supposed to be laughing at FlyQuest. Like, look, look, they give away Isla. And everyone was going, I always knew he was fucking amazing. I even told you back then, I don't get it, mate. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't get it still. I don't get it still, boys. He's just not he a good was, player. 
He was terrible on FlyQuest. Um, I mean, he is not a good support. And yes, it is impressive and a credit to Jojo Pian that he was able to do very well with questionable mid and jungle. Or, or, or sorry, jungle and support. Yes. Which, yes. by the way, is map control. Like, I don't know if you guys understand the game of League of Legends. Jungle and support are map control, especially with synergy with mid lane. Okay? So, uh... You know, what are you supposed to do in this scenario? Like, yes, Revenge played some bad playoff games. Totally on board with you guys there. Wasn't his shining moment. But he was offered very little help on this team. And it was either him or Jojo Pian that was carrying most of the time when EG won. And so I still think he's an incredibly valuable player. And in spite of some ugly games that he had against Summit... I, you know, I don't hold that against him. Summit is oh, the man. king of the laning phase. He like, had the worst possible matchup at this point. Like, the joke is, because EG themselves had to play C9 in the upper bracket, where everyone was going to lose that series. Their real problem is that TL got fucked by an RG. If they played someone else, think of any other team except C9, Monty. Revenge has got a great matchup against everyone else. He has basically, you say, the worst. But the only person who can gap him is Summit, and he has all the resources to do it. Like, that's actually fucking brutal. Because I also yeah. agree with you, by the way. If I'm EG, the only pieces you need to change is jungle and support. That's it. The rest of the team's good to go. This is a good squad. Yeah. He, and by the way, Fudge didn't have bad games versus Cloud9. Oh, Revenge. He didn't. Or, or, or sorry, Revenge didn't have bad games against Cloud9, yes. against Fudge. No, he's fine. He's fine. Uh, he wasn't the reason why they were losing a lot of these games. There were They were kind of like team-wide throws that were occurring. Um and they were developing early gold leads and then throwing them. So yeah, I, I think revenge is fine. Unfortunately, he's going to bear the brunt of a lot of the criticism because he did get really badly destroyed by, by summit in this series. Um, but there's not going to be any kind of criticism, I guess, of like Armeo versus Shaden. And the fact that the rest of this team just has to deal with multiple junglers in the same best of five, like they did against cloud nine. And it was just Shaden who was in the entire time when they played team liquid, but this, the changes in style have been really difficult. Isla being not very good has been very difficult. So it's been hard. I think EG they're an, they're an incomplete team. They went budget. They got rid of inspired, not a great move, but if you want to save money, it's what you're going to do. And so here we are. They overperformed during the regular season. It seems like they got a place that they ultimately deserved within the playoffs. Like, it's hard to say that they didn't deserve to lose the games that they lost. And then the obvious one we have to talk about is fucking Golden Guardians. Because here's the problem, Monty. Look, if you want LCS to have four spots at Worlds, this is the best news possible. This actually is the team. Look, obviously, there's no world where Cloud9 would have been the fourth seed. Of all the teams that could even possibly have been the fourth seed, Monty, this is the best chance you actually have. Like, no joke. I actually feel like I probably will take Golden Guardians to beat whoever LEC puts as that fourth seed for that playoff game. I actually think they're good enough. But, mate, how are they even in this position? This is such an actual travesty of a split ending to end up fourth with their team, mate. Like, I, when I look back, I almost can't conceive of it. Like, I look back at the bracket even and say, how are you fourth? Like, this team at worst should be third, if not in the final with C9. Like, what a whack end to a split. It's just sad. It's just really sad. Especially because, mate, the saddest part about it is some of this came from the fucking players we've been bigging up all year. Like, Gory, we have been calling you the best fucking mid laner the whole time, bro. And you're just going to fucking blow it like this. Oh, it's just sad. It just broke my heart, that, that series, mate. They should have been so much better. I, yeah. I mean, they shouldn't have lost, arguably, to NRG either, right? 
Um, again, it's been an issue of all of a sudden the strengths of the, the gory river synergy have turned into some sort of liability. It's very, very strange. Um, I mean, he got caught out multiple times in the fifth game of the series, which is the game that had to be remade. If you're gory, you shouldn't be in a place where APA is able to beat you. Like we saw yep. what happened with Palafox and APA yep. and Palafox just crushed APA. And I think part of it is APA's mentality has gotten better. I think he was spooked going into the initial match within the playoffs. Um, but I mean, this is why I don't have a lot of confidence in APA, as we discussed on on Competitive Edge going into the finals, because APA is going to be in a stadium for the first time in his life, and he did get jipped. Oh, he's a like, mega rookie. You got to give him. You got to yeah, give him that space. He came yeah. in late in the season, yes. because uh, because they were having really big difficulties in the mid late position. But his first playoff game, he definitely had nerves. His first stadium game, I can't imagine he's going to turn in his best performance. And if we're real about what was going on with with Golden Guardians versus Team Liquid, a lot of it was Pioshik popping off on oh, Viego. Got fucking wrecked, mate. It was just sad, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, Pioshik had a very good series, and yeah. he kept Probably getting Viego. Sure. Yeah, he kept getting Viego for some reason. I don't know why it wasn't banned. But if we think about the NRG matchup, like Contracts is a Viego player, so he's going to be trying to take that away, or they will be banning it. Like, how do you limit Pioshik's presence is going to be, I think, a major topic of conversation. We saw a lot of bad play out of Team Liquid, and they still won this series. Like, Summit doesn't know how to use teleport. He ints with teleport. That's what happens. Um, I mean, neither did Gory, is the hilarious truth, because Gory just had TP up on Tristana and let Team Liquid get a Baron even while, while he was splitting in bot in the fifth game of this series. And then when he wasn't doing that, he was getting caught out in the sidelines. So he, he was either dying in the sidelines, or he just wasn't using teleport to join his team. Um... It was it was a bad series, guys. It was really sloppy. And overall, the story of these LCS playoffs is is really one that goes like this. Is this the worst LCS playoffs ever, or at least in many years? Because the level of sloppiness we are see seeing from these teams is shocking. Like teams are over pushing when they know enemy teams have TP up, they haven't cleared out wards behind them and they just die to flanks. Like we saw Cloud Nine get flanks behind their opponents and just kill them, right? Just just destroy them. Like we've seen Team Liquid come with flanks with APA on, on Nico and just destroy them. Like why in game three versus NRG, when NRG has a big lead, is Cloud9 able to double TP behind them and just get back, get themselves back in the game? It's outrageous. Like any other, if these teams go internationally, it will be a disaster because other teams understand which summoner spells are up and what could happen in those moments. But LCS teams can't do it. They can't do it. Yeah, to me, first of all, the quality of the league, I mean, people literally went budget rosters. Like, remember, dude, some of the budget rosters are the ones doing work here. Like, fucking, like we're talking about EG, TSM. These were teams competitive in the playoffs. They've gone complete budget. Then also... This is the worst one of all, Monty. If you have a team like C9 that's like the far and away best team, they need to look perfect when they're in their home region because it's the only way you can copy them, make yourself believe that they're going to be good internationally. Dude, if C9, because they are clearly far and away the best team in LCS, they look fucking dodgy themselves. Even when they're winning, they look... Even when they're 3-0-ing people, they have dodgy moments or players that just don't look like they'll fucking cut the mustard as we say in English like I've said this in the past but it applies now as well like in this split 
I'm supposed to now I think it's it's been years for just being on C9 now. I should now be at my absolute most confident. Like, right, he's ready. This is when Monty is going to go international. He's going to match up against, like if if he plays against Doran, he's going to give him that work. Is he fuck? That's my problem. Is like some of these players just never made it, boys. There's some players like the real thing that makes C9 OP is they simultaneously have Berserker and Blabber. That's what, as far as I can tell, makes yes. them unbeatable. If Correct. they had, if even one of these players went to another team, it'd be game on in the LCS points. Like, they just have the most cracked out two players. That's all. Yeah, and and I I would I do give credit to C9's coaching staff in that oh. C9 has the fight in them. You know what I mean? And they are willing to play aggressively, basically at all times, and be proactive. And that's like a fucking superpower in North America. Oh my god. Um, but even they play too aggressively at time, throw yep. leads. Um, and so uh, it's grim, I will say, for LCS fans this year. It is very difficult to see how an LCS team is going to compete well on the world stage. Because if we go back, Golden Guardians perform better than Cloud9, in my opinion, at MSI. And if Golden Guardians, if Gory and River, the team's biggest strengths, are having issues right now in North America, oh boy. We're we're in for an ugly world, guys, from from LCS teams. Yes. Like it, what is what is the world, by the way? It, truly, North American fans, are you excited by Ropey Cloud Nine, Team Liquid with APA, a rookie at mid lane, NRG, whose players typically have you know typically not they they've never like made it made it at any point in time right or they've been bit players on rosters that have have done okay at worlds like contracts on cloud 9 right um you know fbi hasn't really shown up at a worlds in the former iterations of like 100 thieves or anything like that so where's the hope man like golden guardians was the best hope of na and yeah. if they suck like, cause they, they at least have the most solid fundamentals and they had a good mid jungle synergy that was capable of generating early game leads. And they played a solid macro game and often didn't overplay their hand. If they can't do that now, it's doomed. <laughs> it's, it's, I also it, think it that's another really problem. Doomed. Not only have you got quite a dodgy set of teams at the top who are going to worlds, but the talents too spread out across the league because of some of these budget decisions. Like if I, if me and you just have all the players in LCS Monty to pick out of, right? Immediately we're taking people like fucking Prince and Georgia Pion. We're making way better rosters than this. Like you could make if you had to like source four rosters to go to worlds and be good for NA, you could still make some good teams. It's just like you say, people like NRG, this should be a budget roster. NRG should be just competing for like the last world spot. The idea they might be in the finals, that just that's that's an indictment of the league, I'm afraid. That's no diss to NRG. They've done everything they can with the roster they have. Like it just shows that the re the region is a bit whack, unfortunately. I mean, our favorites to be in the finals, right? <laughs> it's not just might be in the finals. It's literally are the favorites. Oh. Um, uh, you know, we, we've already seen this matchup. Uh, we saw Energy handle Team Liquid in the first round of these playoffs. And while I think things have changed, like I said, I think APA was really nervous in that game. What's to say he won't be once they hit the stadium a stadium full of fans. Like I, I feel like the mirror situation is happening. He might've calmed his nerves down in the same LCS studio he plays in, but it's going to be very, very different when they get into that environment. And it's an environment where players like FBI have been champions before. Uh, I just trust the veterancy of, of NRG way more than I trust some of the players that are relatively, you know, that are rookies on this roster of team liquid being in that same environment. I think it's going to be really tough.
So it's going to be really tough. So we'll see. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it activates APA and Yun in a way that I didn't know was possible. But given available evidence, I find that somewhat difficult to believe. I think NRG goes to the finals, and then I think C9 absolutely mauls them. And then we're left with a position where we have to acknowledge that a team, once again, just like Cloud9 last year, when Cloud9 won summer last year, we just had to deal with the fact that Jensen was really limited in terms of his mid lane play after taking his break. And they won kind of in spite of their flaws. And then we just had to say, well, this team's probably going to get clapped at Worlds. They got clapped at Worlds, and that was it. You know? I just, I would like to be able to believe in the number one team from North America. And it's gotten to the point now where it feels like even the number one team has a very slim odds of making it out of groups or the Swiss stage. And that's depressing. That's depressing. Great time to do a walkout, though. Just put the whole <laughs> league on fucking notice. That, hey, we might not even play this shit anymore. It's like, don't even fucking dare fucking challenge me with a good time, motherfucker. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, well, I don't know, man. It feels pretty oh, deep. Way, I've all forgotten this as well. Shout out to Doublelift. You betrayed the whole walkout movement, presumably in the hopes of getting your money. And you know what? You know that bonus you get for making worlds? You ain't getting that. Enjoy. Enjoy, dickhead. Was it worth betraying everyone for that? All that for nothing. Brilliant. Yeah, awesome. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Didn't even, didn't even make it. Awesome. Great job. Oh, it's all right. Seeing, Sad. seeing, seeing this iteration of 100 Thieves at Worlds would have been Oh, really it was a train sad. wreck, mate. <laughs> it would have been really sad. Because the real problem this is exposed to me is, this is also why I think the walkout was the worst time ever, Monty. Do you know, I actually think one of the dumbest takes of all time from fans is when they get mad at the owners that have imported players for a lot of money. It's like, bro, that is the only thing that has given this region relevance for the last 10 years. Like, if people had done what you guys asked them to, if we had done Reddit plays LCS GM, we would have four teams like NRG that would be completely irrelevant <laughs> at Worlds. Like, you'd never have a chance. Because to me, that the reason why I say this year really exposes the flaws of LCS is because since people had to go budget and they cannot get the VC in to just make mistakes and keep buying good players, you've seen how bad the GM in is, dude. Like it's just, it's really shaky. Like these people relied on just basically just paying for the best player and hoping it worked out. Like I, I like I can I can live with like the Cloud Nine roster. Golden Guardians is all right. Bearing in mind their budget. Team Liquid ones on. The, I'm on the fence on that one because I never thought the Yon and fucking Whiny guy were any good. But like the other ones are just nothing, are they? Like I said, NRG. It's not their fault. They're not supposed to be in this position. They're supposed to be like plucky team that steals the fourth seed and maybe they can beat EU. Same with like. I mean, they didn't make it there, but TSM at one point looked good. Like they could have made it as yeah. well. Like these rosters, it's like the whole region's just in such a bad spot right now. I think they've got to. Re I don't. This is my question for you. What happens next year? Do we really just pray that like VC comes back and it's business as usual? Do people reformulate their idea? Because at the moment, like this middle ground of like a few all right NA players, like one okay import, it can't last, mate. Like we've reached the point now where I feel it's not worth the like money that you pay for the import if you're not going to get it out of it. So here's, here's what's going to happen from what I understand from talking to people. Like, obviously, a bunch of the teams are potentially for sale for yep. the right price. Um, I, I think the smart teams, you know, no, uh, the smart teams, what they're going to do is what TSM did this split, which I do think was smart. You get two million a year. They got three million this last year in revenue sharing. Maybe the revenue sharing will go down, guys, because obviously LCS continues to struggle in terms of sponsorships and viewerships. It is hard to believe, given the downturn in viewership this year, that they are going to have 
um, either sponsorship renewals or at least renewals at the same amount of yes. money that they were receiving previously. That is a very difficult thing to believe. So perhaps the revenue share goes down. TSM absolutely, by the way, made a profit in their alleged final split of the LCS. We still haven't heard news about what their plans are or what Reginald's promises are. Um, they're, as far as I'm aware, they are actively trying to sell if they haven't been sold already. Um, but a lot of teams, it, it, just ask yourself this question. I, I, you may be hoping that certain teams, as a fan, you may be hoping that certain teams leave the league. Why would they do that if they can't get a good price for the, the slot? If they're getting $2 million in revenue a year, what they're just going to do is run break-even, which you absolutely can do oh, with course. league minimum salaries. You can actually make money uh, off of the revenue sharing of $2 million a year from Riot. Even if it goes down, it's quite easy to break even if you just have league minimum salaries. Uh, if the league moves out of Los Angeles, it becomes even easier in many ways. And uh, as I've said, there I'm not sure it's going to happen. So I'm not trying to put it out there saying like this is something that is going to happen. But those conversations have occurred at Riot. I know that factually. Um, and of course, why wouldn't they happen? Like they should have happened. We could have intuited that they Absolutely. would happen because it makes sense. It just makes logical sense. The LCS doesn't need to be in Los Angeles. Um, a combination with CB Lowell would have some really big benefits, I think, and that would certainly be at least a point of conversation on the table, whether it happens or not is a different story. But if you're one of these teams, why would you not just ride out the with your revenue sharing and yeah, just so my point is, is that I think a lot of the teams in the league are probably pressuring Riot to get out of California, um, set up a different kind of arrangement that's going to be cheaper um, and then they'll just run budget rosters and just wait until sponsorship returns. But as I understand it, guys, the teams are very much suffering, not only from venture capital, but in terms of sponsors right now, you know, riddle me this who outside of LFN have you seen getting new sponsors? We're, we're, I mean, we're doing okay. We're not doing great in this environment because advertising budgets suck right now. We could be doing a lot better, but at least we are getting new sponsors. And from the people I talk to in esports, we are doing way better than most other people and we are not doing well, <laughs> right? <laughs> really appreciate the sponsors that we have, but it's a tough time for advertising. Many advertisers have massively cut their budgets, um, especially not only because of the threat of a recession that's been going on since the end of last year, which is easing up now, fortunately, but esports continues to be kind of a bad word. And the fact is, so many of these advertisers have been burned by the teams in the league because they offered no value that a lot of budgets that have gone towards esports have dried up or they've oh, become man. much, much smaller. That story we referred to last week is exactly the sort of thing that actually does kill esports. Like that Sentinel story about them like blowing like 700k a month or whatever it was, Monty. That combined with the FaZe Clan story from earlier, that's what really kills esports if you don't know fans. It's the idea of that symbol. Add in Overwatch League. By the way, you think when Overwatch League just stops entirely, all these people who vaguely know about esports are going to buy into a franchise league in even a different game like unfortunately to other people these are all like bad omens it just makes people think ah oh, fuck i'll stay clear of it for a while so like that's why even though we laugh at those stories they do so much damage for like the rep of esports yeah um i mean i think probably the the, the overwatch league slash lcs league of legends model of franchising is dead forever riot doesn't one. riot yeah. doesn't want to do it either but we yeah. can tell because they did something different with valorant uh, I don't think that's ever coming back. Uh, that uh, uh, Actually, I, I'll take that back. I think it can come back, but the way it will come back is if there's an esport that blows up 
much bigger than any esport right now where it makes financial sense because that's when the traditional sports team owners are going to see that value again they got sold it with with um with league of legends and overwatch league it didn't happen so if there's scale again i could see it coming back but it, it, it will only come back if it actually makes you know rock solid business sense this time and we're gonna have to see an esport get to kind of a size in the West that it has never been. Um, you know, China can do this, but we in the West can't the joke, do it Monty, I can tell you, I mean, I made this point in the Four Horsemen, I can tell you exactly how we save LCS immediately. You're not going to like the answer, though, because it's all my mates who are doing the CSGO tournament right now, aren't they, over in fucking Saudi Arabia? Spoiler, if anyone's watching football in Europe right now, like, like I'm a fan of Liverpool, all our fucking best players are getting bought by the Saudi League, mate, because they're getting offered like $100 million or whatever. So if the Saudis come in with unlimited money to league and they want to make a fucking franchise league, yeah, we could do it. It's just, does, is that the cost that we want to have to run the league? Do we have to get in a bed with the, all these different actors around the world? I don't know about that. Some take personal yep. change, right? Well, uh, I mean, that's what's happened to esports when there is no VC and when there is no advertising money. Yeah, someone's going to pay. It's going to be China and Saudi Arabia paying for it. Yeah. And people are going to take that money. That's just how it goes, guys. That's just how it goes. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think to answer your question, Thorne, about the future of LCS, my hope is this. My hope is that they move it the fuck out of Los Angeles to decrease costs because the more that costs are decreased around the production, the more of the money that is made in revenue can go to getting better players and teams. If the league stays in Los Angeles, the teams are going to make the logical decision to cut money to spend on the teams themselves, on the players, on the coaches, on the infrastructure. That is what will happen. You will have worse teams. The best scenario for LCS is that they move it somewhere else, decrease costs, try and get, hopefully get some new sponsors as the advertising market opens up and the, hopefully the teams get some new sponsors so they can have better teams. But my prediction is this, viewership is down, sponsors won't be interested, teams will lose sponsors or they'll keep their sponsors at a lower budget point. LCS will lose sponsors even if, and if they cut costs, it won't offset the costs that they lost, you know, they cut costs by moving to Texas or Las Vegas. They're not going to cut costs enough to offset the sponsorship losses. A bunch of teams are just going to be life support teams. We're going to see player salaries decrease, and that'll be it. That'll be it. It's in a death spiral, basically. My favorite part of all of this is the ultimate irony that the reason we got franchising in the LCS was Mark Merrill inaccurately analyzing that what happened was TSM specifically used to take the money they made from league and spend it on the rest of their esports operation. The reason that's ironic is because LCS with TSM will now end with TSM cynically just getting as much of the money from league as possible to keep the rest of the org running as they attempt to leave franchising. <laughs> Mark was what, what I love about Riot Mark is, Merrill is a time lord man he was just he was commenting from the year <laughs> 2023 he, he was he was actually Mark Merrill was posting on Reddit from summer 2023 in which TSM put all their players on minimum salary got yes, revenue share exactly. and then but the, the see here's the horrible time paradox of that Thorin Be that post triggered franchising within the the LCS which then caused Reginald to be able to profit via revenue sharing 
and then take the money from Riot. So he was actually the cause of his own doom, and the pro he he created a prophecy that became through true. It's like by making that universe that actually when you go back, you fuck up the timeline, then it changes, and it still happens anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> Basically, Mark Merrill is one of those people where his real problem is he's not even that he's socially misaligned; he's temporarily misaligned. Like he doesn't understand that us mere mortals experience time in a linear fashion. He just appears to us like, "Be not afraid, I am Trindamir, and I love me." Some Reggie, like <laughs> you see him do all of time and space at the same time. <laughs> he was truly the most depressing time lord. Imagine using your powers for this if you had them. Imagine being, imagine having those powers and using them to do this. Pathetic. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, well, and to be case, fair, in some ways, Riot Games as a corporate culture is much like the TARDIS. There's a lot more going on in there than you'd think from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and they do have an unhealthy obsession with female assistants. <laughs> the difference, though, the Same. difference, though, Thorin, is that Doctor <laughs> Who gets replaced periodically, yes. but no one at Riot can ever get replaced. Uh, We've never. learned that it's actually impossible for them to replace the Doctor Who main character equivalent. Those people just stay there until the end of time itself. <laughs> All right. Uh, any more talk about League of Legends or shall we go to viewer questions? I think we can do the questions. Yeah. All right. We'll take a quick break, guys. Be back with viewer questions. Right. We're going to take some viewer questions now, which if you've never seen the show before, we saw from our Discord. So if you are a subscriber to our Discord, the Last Free Nation Discord, you can ask a question in the appropriate channel. And obviously, it's not just for free, is it? We get some money for it. And as a result, we get to run the company. So Monty will pick some of the questions <laughs> from this channel. As esports historian, what relic would you put in the esports museum as the official birthday of esports? The first Brood War trophy in Korea. The first frag movie of FaZe Clan slash Optic with G Fuel as a sponsor. Riot's agreement to, that spawned LCS. Drake's DM to Ninja to play Fortnite together. Or Thorin's birth certificate. <laughs> That's it was a meme question. question. It was a meme question. It's all done. It's a good question. It's not a serious question. It's a rhetorical question. It's all good. No, no. I mean, you probably have a serious answer to this. What relic would you put in the esports museum as the official first birthday of, I mean, it like feels the, like the, the obvious the first one would be like the Ferrari that John Carmack gave as a prize to Thresh that he won in Quake in like Red Annihilation that's, that's in 1997. A good one. It's a pretty good one because it's also buying a piece of remember it has double function it's not just a massive prize it was also the Ferrari of one of the people who created esports essentially with Quake etc so it's pretty cool that's a right? one. there you go so it was a funny question but also yeah. a good answer we yeah. like those as I understand you enjoy ancient literature I do uh, do you have, do you have an, if you do, which are your favorite Egyptian, Greek, Roman, or Norse gods? What qualities or stories they have that you appreciate? Sure. I mean, this is an easy question for me to answer. You want to go first? <laughs> it means just basically any ancient pantheon. Egyptian, like, Greek, Roman, or Norse, but you can pick other ones. I mean, I've got, I, I'll just talk about Aztec gods too, because that's one of my favorite. I mean, one thing I do find quite interesting is, in my opinion, the reason why the character of Loki in the North Norse mythology is really interesting is if you notice, he isn't purely like a good guy or a bad guy, he's sort of yep. like the trickster role, isn't he? And if you notice, he even does the move, which famously comic books like to copy, whether you do have like enemy of my enemies, my friend scenarios, like sometimes oh, yeah. Loki helps them when it's the right time, right? Even though like in sometimes he's the antagonist. So I've always thought that was a pretty cool angle because it's less black and white than the other ones, you know? It's also, I, I think 
you know, it's not necessarily that Ragnarok is a bad thing and they know Loki is going to trigger it basically, but it's just an inevitability in the end, right? It's not a lot of Norse mythology isn't necessarily good or bad. And like in ancient mythologies, a lot of times the, the gods themselves are petty or assholes. Uh, and so you just kind of have to deal with their capriciousness as a mortal and understand that they are going to behave according to their nature. And that's that's true in many mythologies. But I think Norse mythology is, you know, particularly interesting in that regard. I think for me, um, you know, the the mythologies that I resonate kind of most with. So uh, I have I have, you know, my last name is Norwegian, so I have Scandinavian ancestry. My grandfather was a Norwegian immigrant. And so I as a result, I started reading a lot of Norse mythology and I, I felt that I personally resonated with a lot of it in terms of Norse gods. I have Odin's Ravens tattooed on my back. Uh, and so I really like Odin and I really like the qualities of Odin and his, uh, wisdom gift with poetry and public speaking, you know, the stories of him with gaining the powers of poetry, uh, are very interesting and I really like his commitment to learning and knowledge. And he is rather mysterious and capricious himself, oftentimes in disguise, uh, always wanting to know more about the news of the world, which is why, you know, I have Huguen Immune and tattooed on my shoulders. Um, so I really love Norse mythology. It is very fragmented because it was all, it was all written down post-Christianity. So it's pretty, the interpretations are kind of weird and you, it's definitely been archived under a christian lens which is annoying uh and there isn't a lot of it uh that we have so you kind of have to put the pieces together but it's it's pretty good uh i really like aztec mythology and i really like the god tezcatlipoca from aztec mythology who is again he he is a, a more trickster like god uh within that mythological structure and a god of prophecy and the god of the jaguars um so he's another kind of more mysterious slippery figure which is what i tend to go for in terms of my my mythologies um in terms of i'm not super into egyptian mythology if i'm going to be honest with you um i think for greek and roman mythology it's not really gods that i like it's mostly heroes that i like in those mythologies so the the semi-divine you know like the demigods are more interested to, interesting to me so people like achilles for example odysseus he's not a demigod but you get my point uh, more the heroes of like the iliad and the odyssey uh or the aeneid for example rather than the gods themselves you have any other favorites i mean odysseus is a good one to me because to me that's like He's like Lex Luthor, isn't he? He doesn't have any superpowers, but he's just super smart. That's essentially, yes. which basically is the ultimate meta superpower, isn't it? Like, <laughs> essentially, if you are smart, think about this. This would be crazy if you thought of it, maybe in the context of, I don't know, it's crazy, like gender or something. Imagine, Monty, if there was someone stronger than you, but you had the ability through speech and influence to make them do what you want. In some ways, that would change the power dynamic, wouldn't it? But don't let that get in your way, guys. That's definitely not the way history worked at all. <laughs> it was just about who had the literal physical strength over the others. <laughs> Weird that, isn't it? Um, I also love Hector. I love Hector, Theseus, Perseus. Uh, Hector is super underrated. I, I also like some niche characters like Diomedes in, in the Iliad. Yeah, um, tons of stuff. 
If you had to work as a chef at a restaurant, what would be your signature dish? I have worked as a chef at a restaurant, so there you go. How would you? How would your answer change if the restaurant only served esports industry people? Well, it'd have to be Korean food if it served esports industry people, because that's what everybody agrees on in esports. Right. Obviously, <laughs> this joke is in the game Minecraft. If it had a cocking section on Twitch.tv, the streaming service, because if it's people in the industry, obviously, I'd just make them poison, wouldn't I? Really? In you wouldn't make it Minecraft, obviously, yeah, not in real life. How about a nice in real life, it'd be horrific to poison everyone, Monty. <laughs> but in Minecraft, I would just give them poison. Or I'll give you another dark one. I'll give you the same joke. I actually said this on Side Select, but you'll appreciate it since we just referenced all that Greek and Roman mythology. See, if it's people in esports, and we're talking purely hypothetically, Monty, I would never do this in real life. Obviously, the only real appropriate thing to serve esports industry people would be their own children cooked into a pie. Ah, Titus Andronicus, very but nice. you wouldn't tell them that <laughs> after they'd eaten it. And once they finished eating it, you'd go, you know what, guys, you won't believe this metaphor, but you've just eaten your own children in future in order to have a good time now in esports. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Thor with Titus Andronicus, the people of esports. <laughs> wasn't the answer you were hoping for, but it's a pretty good answer. It's pretty out there, isn't it? Uh, I mean, you could also just make them a crow pie. Seems like that'd be a, a more... Mild version of perhaps what you're saying. One thing I've learned about people in esports, they won't eat crow even when they need to. It'd be appropriate to. They'll never eat You have to force them to do it. That's right. You have to force them to do it. I have cooked in restaurants before. Uh, I, I cooked in a Thai what restaurant. What is your best dish though? What would your go to be? I don't know, man. I cook so many different things. What would you, no, but I mean, do you have like a classic, like something a bit more obscure? Like, would you do a what, like beef wellington or something? There's got to be something you would do oh, as your favorite. Right? I mean, I look, man, I love making prime rib. I love smoking I brisket. Some smoke, right? Yeah, some smoke. Yeah. Brisket, or, you know, food I love making. Caprao is just street food, but I love making a good Caprao, you know? It's great shit. Uh, Thorin has brought up pro wrestling many times on the shows. I'm So I'm curious, do you still watch pro wrestling? And if so, who are some of your favorite wrestlers of all time? I haven't watched wrestling in like 20 plus years, man. So no, I basically just liked it in the 90s. So if I'm picking like favorites of all time, I mean, I was a big fan of The Outsiders, Nash and, uh, what's his name? Fucking Scott Hall, if people remember those two. Um, who else was good? Diamond Dallas Page back in the day. This is when I was a little kid, obviously, like when I was a stan. He was the shit with the diamond cutter. Sting. Even though it was just a blatant ripoff of the Crow, but it was a cool aesthetic. Well, shout out, by the way, people don't know the original Crow comics in the 90s from Dark Horse. Check those out, they're good. Who else? I was never a massive WWF fan in comparison, but there's some good ones there, like obviously fucking Triple H. I like villains, if people don't know. I like people who are like, that's one thing about that actually wrestling nailed, unlike a lot of other media, is they actually make the villains pretty cool, don't they? So you can have like a secondary angle to it. So yeah, there's a few for you. Uh, I was never a pro wrestling fan, so there you go. Uh, you guys feel like the kind of people who have favorite military generals or commanders? If so, who are your favorites? Well, this is right up my alley. Do you have any favorites? I mean, the easy ones, just like fucking Napoleon, Alexander the Great. <laughs> like They're all just cracked out, aren't they? Like, sure. If you actually like these concepts, what's amazing about them, it's why they have made a million anime like this, is... When you read the stories, it's like you are reading a fucking manga. You're like, wait a minute. So then they win this battle as well with half as many troops. What? And yeah. then they get, and then the other, uh, uh, you know, Entente Power comes in and says, well, we're going to attack them for man. They're like, ah, oh, but I knew you'd do that. So I added, like, like, the problem with these ones, like, that's why they are the best, though. Like, Napoleon, like, side of the grid, they're all just doing that all day long. Like, the, the Napoleon ones, for real, if people want to get into that because the movie coming up, if you look online, there are a whole bunch of people who have done really good podcasts where they go through all the great stories from like their careers, etc. cetera. 
And like, like I say, you would think it's an anime. Like these almost beggar belief how good the stories are. Yeah, I am going to, I'm actually going to pick up a book and uh, on Napoleon read it before the Ridley Scott movie comes out. Um, I actually have been reading a fuck ton of books about this recently. I'm almost done right now with a book about Alexander the Great by Philip Freeman that's been excellent. Um, I read Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. I read a book on Horatio Lord Nelson recently um, about the Battle of Trafalgar and his uh, naval career. What else have I read? Um by the way, that is also how fucked up I am as a person. That I'm actually a fan of Napoleon, even though logically my country was the one fighting against him. So logically, I shouldn't <laughs> didn't make sense to me, but I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I don't care, mate. Don't care. Um, like, yeah. okay, essentially, I wish Trafalgar Square wasn't there. Do I want I wish that was just a, a big French guy there. And I'm speaking French now, which, spoiler, if you know my career, I have always been trying to do it anyway. <laughs> there you go. I, I think my favorite one is Hannibal. Actually, I think my favorite one is is Hannibal because there is something just he like, means the guy from Carthage, obviously not Hannibal Lecter, in case anyone's a moron. Just just has to be said. In by the, the way, sorry, I am I, I just as as an aside, I am so tilted that Hannibal Lecter is named Hannibal because I would desperately love to name my son Hannibal, but I can't do it because That's of fucking out. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> but if Hannibal Lecter didn't exist or had a different name. I could actually just name my son exactly. Hannibal and it would be awesome. Exactly. So Hannibal, I, I love because the whole Punic Wars thing where it was an uphill battle for Carthage the entire time, right? And there's such a fucking epic story about their naval dominance um, in like the first Punic War and the way that Rome had to overcome that. And then Hannibal being Spanish and then marching his elephants over the Alps and then kicking the Romans ass in Italy is fucking amazing. It is such a crazy underdog story and of really creative genius and, and leadership qualities that I just think is great. I just think it's great. Um, also, I mean, you can just tell how badly the Romans got owned by Carthage by the time that, you know, the Punic Wars finally ended and what they had to do to, they had to literally burn it to the ground and salt the earth. That's how angry they were at Carthage because Carthage overperformed so hard based on the expectations uh, for the time. So Hannibal, probably number one for me. I also love Horatio Lord Nelson. He's pretty great too. Really interesting guy. Uh, during Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell's recent speech on the annual defense bill. Oh boy, where is this going? By the way, the I'll just throw this out there. I'll give you a freebie because I saw some moron tried to be like, lol, bit of a difference between your, your age and the Napoleonic one. Here's one for you, Americans. Do you know how many hundreds of years it's been since slavery? You can't shut the fuck up about that still, though, can you? <laughs> you know that works, doesn't it? If you're American, understand, don't ever talk shit to me. Be that's, gone, that's be gone. That's because we, we we have a very short history, you know. Uh, during Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell's recent speech on the annual defense bill, the venue experienced significant network issues, <laughs> resulting in him lagging out for 20 seconds straight. Okay. That's That's true. Upstream, he, right. Yeah. He did he did lag out. He, his uh, his okay. his wire got cut. Uh, what are some instances of poor network performance or admin rulings that have impacted an esports competition, resulting in similar crowd vitriol of the subsequently experienced by McConnell? That's a very funny question. Uh, obviously, the famous one that I've said when the stage cut the internet connection, which resulted in the eight-hour delay between WE and CLGEU at Season 2 and Worlds. But there have been tons of these network performance problems. Flashpoint, famously. Well, tons. I mean, I, the season two world's problem. one's the most whatever, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny framing of that question. 
Have you ever seen some of the movies of the filmmaker Billy Wilder? And if so, what of your some of your favorite movies of his? I personally love The Apartment and Some Like It Hot. If not, what are some of your favorite filmmakers from the 1950s and 1960s era? I mean, Billy Wilder is very famous. Um, I mean, you will. It's just whether you know the movies. Like obviously, Sunset Boulevard, he did. Uh, Double Indemnity, I think he did. He's two. done a lot of classic movies. He's what, But he comes from the area, if people don't know, when obviously they used to do like a movie a year. Like you have to do grind out lords back then. He's got some yeah. pretty good ones. Um, I mean, you you picked some good ones, like some like I mean, it hot. Um, Ace in the Hall, if anyone's seen, that's a classic one. Stalag 17, there's loads of fucking mega famous ones. Um, Lost Weekend is one of my all-time favorites, mate. You know that one movie, Monty, the one where the guy like relapses and like, oh, it's mega. If people wanted to see a movie about addiction, there's a mega movie, Lost Weekend. Yeah, Double Double Indemnity is no joke. One of my favorite film noir movies. I think it's super underrated. Very classic um, premise as well. And you basically, by yeah. the way, you also need to know that premise as a reference point for many things in culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love, I love, I love that movie. Um, so yeah, uh, certainly familiar. Um, and what other famous movies specifically from the fifties and sixties era? Uh, let's see here. Let's, let me think about some stuff right now while I look up which ones were specifically in that era. I mean, an obvious one, Paths of Glory from the fifties, early Kubrick movie with Kirk Douglas. That's a banger. I like, I like almost everything that has Orson Welles in, so any of his films, you can put all those up. Um, Touch of Evil. Like, uh, John Cass- the earlier, like, John Cassavetes movies were in the 50s and 60s, although a lot of that stuff, like, you know, Killing of a Chinese Bookie and Woman Under the Influence were in the 70s. Um, I'm trying, trying to get the exact year on some of these movies because there's going to be a lot of them that were in the 50s and 60s for film noir. Touch of Evil was 58. Obviously a big fan of that. Um, you know, this is a big period for uh for Orson Wells also. Uh so yeah. Um what else was he in during that time period besides Touch of Evil? Uh I mean, Lord, just yeah. it's about, it's yeah. about, I mean, his movies. It's like the trial two, two decades of movies. It's hard to hard to get get them all. We're our next arc in four play is going to f- uh, feature some films from that era, though. So you guys, I'm also a big that. fan of the King Vador version of the Fountainhead, which is from like I think 1949 or something. That's a bagger movie. It's mega. I've never seen that one. Have either of you been into oh, fighting games? As the main guy, Gary Cooper is Howard Rock, and it was like a banger casting thing, which is a really good job. Have either of you been into fighting games slash the FGC? I recently watched Street Fighter VI and Evo as my first fighting game and some of the most fun I've had watching esports in years. Curious what your experience playing and watching, if you've had favorite moments. I've never really played a lot of fighting games, at least not seriously. Like, I played very casually, like Soul Calibur and stuff as a teenager. But I was never really involved in that scene and never really been, like, a Street Fighter player. Uh, You know, like, Mortal Kombat was big when I was a kid. But this, we're talking like Mortal Kombat 1, 2, 3, this era. So it was before the, the FGC really started popping off. Never really played like Tekken or Street Fighter or any of those games. Um, but I do enjoy watching them. And I think the atmosphere at those events is quite fun. Um, the FGC just has a lot of issues because it's very difficult to monetize. And so it hasn't been a space that I've been particularly interested in. I don't know about you, Thorin. 
I'm just not that interested in fighting games as a type of game. And also the other problem is from the little I know about them, like all the hardcore games like RTS games, FPS games, they've just been watered down over the years as far as I know. So if people know the most famous fighting woman ever, the Daigo versus Justin Wong, like Parry, as far as I know, you can't even do that stuff anymore, Monty. It's like they made it so it's like less and less and less. It's like everything. They make the defensive rules harder in every sport. So like as far as I know, they also watered it down. So I'm not a big fan of the genre in any way. Like FPS was always my job yeah i think i think it, it just it was also like console esports and that's just never been that interesting to me oh i guess i'm sorry i was thinking about the 50s and 60s there's like a bunch of great western films during that era it's probably like the king of the western well, era so like era, magnificent yeah. seven like i mean the, yeah most of that stuff everything the be, man who shot liberty vance is all going to be that era right it's all black and white yeah. pretty much the, what are the searchers there's a million or the black. early the early color stuff yeah yeah, the I black and white. Really cool yeah. Yeah. There's tons of good stuff. Tons of good stuff in there, especially in Westerns. Uh, have either of you been into fighting games? Oh, sorry, that was a question we just asked. Who would you say had the better career between Ruler and Def so far? Are either of them the GOAT ADC right now? I think Ruler's probably eclipsed Deft at this point in time, which is weird to say because Deft is the reigning world champion, but his performance on Gen G and then now on JDG, especially if Ruler can win the title this year, I think. It's hard to argue that Ruler isn't the GOAT ADC at the current point in time. I mean, I do think if you want to just go on things like peak years, overall career, Deft's certainly a very strong candidate too. He's definitely up there. The problem is it's really hard when you do this discussion. It would be a way better discussion to do in like three years. The problem with doing it right now is right now Ruler's at his absolute peak and he is probably the best player in League of Legends. So it's hard not to be overwhelmed by that. But like if you actually do think of the very, very best prime years of Deft, he was a really unbelievably good player. And I also think the thing that's mega underrated about Deft as well, Monty, is he actually also, if we want to use the example of what we're talking about with Peanut, he's someone who inverted his game. Remember, he went from like he used to be on Samsung Blue, he was dog shit in lane by the time he came back to korea did the kt super team he was a fucking monster in lane he was actually like an insanely strong player so, so i think he's actually got, i've i've always said this in my opinion because obviously there's a world where he doesn't win worlds like he did out of nowhere last year i think he was destined to be the most underrated league player ever i think death's a fucking god tier player mate look how many years of longevity this guy has really impressive stuff yeah, he, there's both certainly in the conversation. I think it'll depend on results, but Ruler getting two LPL titles already. I mean, that's and yes, he's on a super team. Now, even now, when he's not even supposed to be in his beat, he's still good now. Even those teams, pretty whatever. Isn't he? Oh yeah, he's great. Deft is very good now. Uh, with KT losing to T1, the state of the LCK is starting to seem dire. Not sure I agree with that. Well, dire compared to what? The joke is inverted the opposite. I actually find it cool now. I think like T1's back, so we've got like the three teams yeah. can all come back. I think it's awesome now. It's not yeah. that T1 didn't play well, guys. T1 played a lot better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what exactly. are the chances of teams like C9 and G2, given that Weibo has some issues as a whole, seem to be struggling right now? G2 maybe, C9 no. The no. thing I think and, is the problem with this is, this is where this happens every year. You see Weibo and you're just thinking of all the meme games they lost and going, lol, yes. imagine them. What you're forgetting is this. Think of the players Weibo has. Like, uh, is fucking Eminem just going to clap fucking Zhaohu? I don't think so. <laughs> Even the ones you all think are going to beat the Shy, right? Remember, every the Shy int looks like an outplay before it becomes an int. So, like, you have to get <laughs> through the int, basically, right? So here's the problem, Monty. As much as everyone's laughing now, 
Is Licorice going to clap the shy? I don't know about that. You know what I mean? Like, so also, to me, I think, ask, this, I think even Weibo could clown some of these Western teams, mate. In fact, I think they will. Who, who is, who, you have to ask, who is clapping the shy, right? These are some of the best top players in the, the absolute world. Cr- best players in the whole world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, like, I here's the difference. Weird. I'll give like maybe Summit a chance against the shy in a BO1, but I, don't, I think people are underestimating how strong those LPL teams are, mate. And also, you think LCK has weaknesses, but who is going to out-macro Gen.G in the West? Who's going to do it? You you have to outsmart Gen.G to beat them. And by the way, you have to do that while Chovy is ramming mid lane down your throat for an entire game. So, I don't know. Seems well, unlikely. There's one thing I think's mad underrated. Mate, if you actually look, here's the specific positions to look at. The two positions I want you to look at is just mid and ADC. Now look at LPL and LCK. Now look back to LC, LCS and LEC. Now look back to LCK. Just mid and ADC only. Now look back. Like This night and day, guys. It's actually <laughs> mid lane especially. It's really bad now. I told everyone this on the Best Damn League show. The saddest part for me about Europe is this. Dude, our region's whole shit was at least we produced like world-class mid laners. Have you seen the mid laners that are probably going to go from Europe? It's going to be Caps, in my opinion, in his worst ever form. Like, I think he's the most pedestrian he's ever been now. He's just an okay player. It doesn't even have the ceiling that his game used to have. You can have Abbey Deprecate, who's never done anything internationally. Who else? Maybe Nook. If you're lucky, you might get Nisky on a bad Like It's going to be rough. Meanwhile, like, talk all the shit you want about the... Like, like, remember, guys, for the sake of entertainment, we point out weaknesses of LCK, like top lane. Mid and ADC is still really good. Mid lane especially, they are going to have a phenomenal set of mid laners there. Like, as much as I even meme on Zika, mate, he's going to tear up Western mid laners. What are you talking about? Remember, <laughs> if fucking, mate, Monty, if Certus can pick Akali whenever he likes and win a game, I'm pretty sure Zika can. I'm pretty sure he can pop off of these motherfuckers, mate. So I think people are doing that thing where I get it for copium reasons. You're just looking at the weakness of the Asian team and then the strength of the Western team. Yeah. If you compare player for player, they're still going to dwarf the western teams this time in my opinion yep have either of you read power versus force by david hawkins it's a spiritual book written from the perspective of a former psychologist psychiatrist with an emphasis on integrity i have not i will take a look though i'll, I'll take a look and see if that's interesting have you read it super specific don't i mean here's the problem <laughs> with that. what you should have done is this i'll give everyone a pro tip you gotta give us what you do is this you tell us like that was like, a, he just gave you like the basic overview. Like, it's like just, what you do is this, tell us what to you was really compelling about the book. That might make someone yeah. read it. You know what I mean? If you were like, I, it was like blew my mind, this angle, like that, that'll get us to it. The problem is he gave us too simplistic a uh, overview there. So like Monty lied and was like, I'll look at it. No, I'll I will. I'll, it. Like I need, I need more than that. Spoiler <laughs> I like. didn't lie. I will, I will look it up and I, see if I, it's I interesting. <laughs> I don't want to break your guys' hearts, but this is my one life and I plan on doing it for the shit I'm interested in, not the stuff you're interested in. So unless you can get me interested, then I'm not going to read what i will do is i will look up the premise and see if it's interesting because that doesn't take me hardly any time it's good you tell me a reason it's good then maybe i'll check it out all right well uh, we'll see if we get that far uh monty if kt loses on saturday to t1 i think the roller coaster will be permanently out of commission and i hope maybe you all can make one last video regarding your ultimate victory in the tsm holy war maybe with richard lewis as a guest we might do that is JDG already the best five-man lineup of all time for a single season? I, I think we're, we talked about that earlier in the, in the show. They're, they're certainly up there. The problem is, in league especially, they're never going to let you be the number one unless you win Worlds. So they've got to do that, yes. of course. Yeah. 
It's been mentioned on the show that Keen is the last of the care of the Korean carry top laners. What about Zayas? No, he is as well. Even though he is spectacular and an amazing player, he doesn't seem like he's off the same cloth of Flame, Smeb, Shy, Reaper, Maknoon, and Keen. Is there something that makes him different from them? Yeah, he doesn't show up in the most important games. Literally all those other, well, Flame kind of got cucked. Uh, famously. But for the most part, most of those other players, Smeb, I don't even know if I would consider Shy a carry top laner. He was weak side a lot of the time, guys. Um, Reaper, Machnoon, these guys, though, uh, definitely. And Smeb, definitely. Uh, I think most of those players at least showed up in the major games. The problem with Zayas is that he's disappeared in most of the games that have mattered, and he needs to have that carry performance on a big stage. That's what he needs to do. As far as I know, him specifically, he has always been considered a huge favorite in his lane in every one of these finals. And he's blown up, except maybe the Zhao one. Maybe that's it. Let's say, like, that, oh, that was that one when he was top lane. No, yeah, he's, that's the worst part about Zayas is, by the way, he should be in this lineage. He's essentially been like this close a million times, but he never gets over the hump, does he? Like, the bad problem with Zayas essentially is, at the moment, he's been limited to his best player being domestic. But in theory, yeah. he should be in that mix for sure. I mean, you watch some of his regular season games and they're spectacular. Oh, he's right? mega, yeah. Last time I asked about gladiatorial combat, if you were a gladiator or duelist, what would be your weapons and style? Man, I just, I'm, I'd be a basic bitch. I just go one handed sword and shield, 100%. It's the most versatile, provides you good offense and defense. Uh, it's, it's classic. Maybe a rapier as well. That's not really gladiatorial. That's like Renaissance, right? Duelist. Um, so I, I just go very, very basic, I have to say. I wouldn't go anything crazy. Here's the problem. I would, this is, this just shows you how people are different, right? I want to believe I would like, yeah, I would be like fencing or some, some super skilled, like, you know, like very cerebral art, but like since wars and gladiatorial battle is just about killing the other guy and staying alive, I would just go with some shit that does max damage, like a mace <laughs> or something. The most underrated one, if you ever look into it is actually like a staff, like a, a stick. Cause people think cause of anime that like, if you have a stick, right, the other guy just cuts it in half. It's like, do you know how much strength you have to have to bring a fucking sword down really far and cut a fucking stick. Like, if you don't know, a stick's actually mad underrated because you can knock stuff out of their hands. You can, oh, yeah. you can, it's actually mega underrated if you ever look into it. Like, basically, it's why in those medieval periods, actually, those aren't bozos, the guys carrying a cane. Like, if you have the skill with it, you can actually, like, be, you can beat the guy with a sword essentially. Because what people miss about the guy with the really big sword is it's not super mobile, is it? It's not like a little katana. Like, you try to swing this massive fucking sword, you've got a certain range that you can work within. So, I would probably just go with something simple, like a mace or something. Just smash someone's head in with a mace. <laughs> Monty mentioned that he was a big fan of the ancient civilizations genre. Are you interested in the works of people like Graham Hancock? And if so, what are your thoughts about the possibilities of lost ancient civilizations, Atlantis, a Amazonian ancient civilizations, Egypt, etc.? So I don't know who Graham Hancock is. He's the guy who did fingerprints of the gods where it's like the idea that like uh, maybe potentially like aliens or ancient civilizations, uh, like for example, like maybe the Egyptians is 100,000 right, years older okay. or, you know, well, Machu Picchu's like the civilization of the ages and shit, you know. That's all I think I mean. it's I think it's kind of silly, but fun to think about. Um, I enjoy the, the theoreticals of stuff like that. Uh, lost ancient advanced civilizations. I'm not, that's not my jam. Like thinking about Atlantis as a high tech society that has been lost to the world is not what I find compelling about the ancient civilizations 
genre. I'm more interested in like finding historical artifacts like the Ark of the Covenant and having it be magical. Okay, so I'm less you interested. You want Indiana Jones to be real. That's your yes. vibe. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like King <laughs> yeah. Solomon's Mines, right. like the old Alan Quartermain yeah. shit. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I'm into, so here's what I'm into. I'm not into Atlantis had spaceships. I'm into ancient civilizations had magic powers that are not technology-based. It's very specific. Okay. <laughs> so I'm more interested in like these, these old artifacts having powers that have been lost to time, not that it was done by advanced technology, but that it was done by, uh, you know, supernatural forces. I think that's more fun for me. I'm not personally into Graham Hancock, not least because I also think he his job actually is to be a sort of gatekeeper. And actually, even his theories reinforce ideas like some elements of historical history are how they say they are and maybe aliens, whatever. I'd, I'd personally go the opposite way to Monty. I think it's the other way around. I think there was way more advanced tech, but that like tech isn't some like artificial thing. All the great tech literally is magic and from the world of the imagination. So essentially I would be on some like Hyperborean tip where maybe actually <laughs> all of history semi-fake and there were all different types and places in the realm you could go to. I'd just go on that angle. But of course only in Minecraft on Twitch.tv. <laughs> Save myself there. I could have been could have been killed there, but I saved myself from the Twitch.tv uh, what are some of your favorite what ifs? What ifs in lol history? Matches that never happened, players that ended up elsewhere than originally planned, etc. Uh, the double bracket KT versus IG rematch in the finals of 2018. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be so many of them that are like double elimination at Worlds. Like, why couldn't we see that? Like, why couldn't I watch Rocks Tigers run it back against T1? Right? Why? Why couldn't I watch that? That sucks. I'll tell you one uh, that makes me mildly salty, right? Do you remember? Because people will know the story that Flame trialed with T1. It's worse than that, guys. Even though, this is a joke, her original betrayal of Kelsey was she once actually did send me a message and said, not only is he trialing, but the rumor is Flame is going to get the job. Now, if people don't remember, this was when Marion left. So basically, Flame could have won Worlds with T1 and Faker, and that didn't happen. So there's my what if. That would have been fucking sick. <laughs> what if Scout had come back to Korea on KT two years ago? Because that was, you know, you saw the drama with Scout. Uh, I, I know KT was super interested in him. That would have been very interesting to see him on KT last year and this year, potentially. I also think, by the way, he actually, in my opinion, could be more successful in a Korean team. Like, he plays yes. the, the prototypical Korean mage style. I, lo I love that style of player, mate. Like, that style of player can work all day long in LCK I, teams. I really want him to come back. I really, I want him and Tarzan to come back together. That would be incredible. If the Elephant crew had to put together a theater performance, what play would you pick and who would play what role? <laughs> I've got a good one. All right. What's yours? It's one of the few players I actually like. And there's a great movie about it from the 70s, I think, 70s or 80s. Marat Saad. The story of the, the Saad <laughs> and, yeah, and the lunatics take over the asylum. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be fucking fire, Monty. That's a I did not expect you to say Barat That is a pull and a half, in it? If you know the premise, the premise of the inmates take over the asylum and there's all crazy shit going on, that would be awesome. We, Our crew would be the best for that. All right. I don't, I don't have a better... It could be some crazed, like, you know, shaved character eating his own shit in the corner or something so many different characters, yeah. <laughs> Man, I haven't read Marat Saad since I was doing, um, you know, like basically history of drama work in, in college. Holy moly. 
That's a funny one. That's a good one. Check out that movie if you've never seen it. <laughs> or the play if somebody's putting it on around you. I think there's probably, if to, to be more classic, there's probably like a fun Midsummer Night's Dream angle here where the LFN crew are all in the magical realm manipulating the mortals and, and playing with them. I think that's that'd be a fun one, too. Uh, what are you typically doing leading up to an episode of SI and what are you doing afterwards? Well, it starts at 8 a.m. my time. So, like, I don't know, trying to drink coffee, wake up and like get get my kid in clothes <laughs> before I wander on out to my garage. But uh, you know, mostly it's just watching games and looking up statistics, thinking about what we want to talk about. What am I doing afterwards? Uh, today, I will be responding to emails and going to the gym, doing bureaucratic work. Not very exciting. I'll give everyone like a look. I like to break the fourth wall on this stuff. I'll give everyone a little pro tip for talk shows. It's actually a mistake, in my opinion, to make your points too specific and make notes about everything. Because if you do that, most people aren't capable of sort of killing their darlings and letting the research die. So if they do that, they're going to force all of those topics to be in the talk show. Whereas basically, like Monty says, I prefer to just watch the games, maybe think as I'm watching them sort of passively about them. And then I'm just going to see on the talk show what's interesting to talk about and then we're just going to go from that and that'll be the guide because sometimes you come in and you think we're going to talk this this, this. sometimes it's not interesting or it doesn't make sense in the conversation so to me I think that's the part people miss they probably think we like put loads of prep in but it's like I've always said about esports the best prep is you just live the esport like you're just yes. watching it you're thinking about it, you're reading it so essentially you're always going to have like there's always going to be something to spur conversation yeah, I also find that now that SI is my third and final talk show every week about League of Legends, that I've, uh, you know, I've spent several days like Monty of Wolf Show and Power Spike thinking and talking about the games that happened this week already. So it helps me like kind of find this is kind of like the finalization of my thoughts of a week where I'm able to start, you know, if I if I feel like we haven't gotten to a specific topic or Thorne brings up something interesting. Uh, then we can talk more at length about this. this is also the longest show. So there's just more time to kind of do comparisons between regions here and um, discuss meta points. Also, we bring up topics on this show that are not discussed elsewhere because, uh, you know, some of our colleagues may have relationships with riots that prevent them from engaging in certain lines of conversation as much as we might want to do on this show. So it's a good opportunity to do that as well. More, I think summoning insight tends to be more long form, more timeless, more, um, you know, abstract conversations than some of the other shows. Um, to me, it's the difference. Time. Summoning insight in some ways for the community plays the role, like you're saying, of the by the numbers used to in CSGO, where these shows are actually necessary for the reason you just said. Like, like on Best Damn League Show, I'm sure we have some great conversations about the better in European League of Legends, but it's very rare there's an episode where you'd actually say, like, that was really important in the history of baseball. Summoning insight has had some fucking bangers over there. I think some of the yep. topics we talked about just this year that no one else can even address, or they go, oh, I'm waiting for the investigation, and there's nothing there yet talked about so yeah i think that's the other thing with this show i actually also think personally i consciously do think we have like a not like a responsibility as in we all people but i think there's a responsibility that we're some of the only people who can talk about that so that's why we do it that's why we take it on like people don't know this monty there are certain topics where it's like you know you're just going to get shit if you talk about it but i tell you what if no one else is going to and i do think it's important then I, sometimes i do think it's necessary to do it even if you have to sort of take it on the chin you know yep yep I've listened to a lot of the Thor Inquiry series. Thor Inquiry, sorry. The side channel interview series, I have. Yes. Yeah. And I was wondering, without going too deep, of course, if Monty goes on, uh, as far on the conspiracy slash esoteric stuff as Thorin does. 
Side note, Thor Inquiry is a great series and has opened my eyes to a lot of topics and interest I otherwise would not have been aware of, so thanks for that. Um, in terms of esoteric shit, I mean, Thorin and I have always shared that interest and, you know, bounced books back and forth. You guys, you guys, I've talked about this before. I spent a year of my life doing a Mayan adulthood initiation, guys, okay? So I'm pretty deep into, like ancient mysticism. My college degree was in kind of mythology and oral tradition storytelling. My undergraduate so thesis... Is, your interest is more in like the academic side though. Because when he's saying that, like I, what I've hinted at in some of these interviews is like I'm quite into like the conspiracy side, which is obviously in some cases by definition not academic, but you're more in sort of like the literal literature culture of these things, right? I mean, I also lived it in very interesting ways. Like I have lived the esoteric mystic ceremonies you know what i mean and i've i've lived entire years of my life around that engaging in this not in an academic sense but in a living a mystic tradition sense so uh i would say it's pretty i do enjoy the academic side but i also have lived the practice side of it right um so i mean i'm pretty deep into a lot of that stuff i i just don't tend to talk about it a lot. No, I mean more <laughs> academic in the sense of like you are into like esoteric stuff that has like a historical basis whereas oh, he's yeah, mean yeah. and sort of are you into like conspiracy shit which like that isn't really your wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, I mean I find it interesting to think about but yeah, for the most part I'm more into like ancient civilizations and mythology and and stories. Like I said my I was about to say my my undergraduate thesis was in um like it was in alchemical symbolism in Wolfram von Eschenbach's Parsifal, which is a grail legend poem, right? And so I guess uh, here's, a, here's a weird take for you. That is a conspiracy that I think existed, like the conspiracy of embedding mysticism regarding like very non-Christian mysticism within a supposedly Christian text. So maybe I'm into like ancient conspiracies. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I love Carl Jung um, and Merkea Iliad and, 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 and these kind of, you know, Joseph Campbell, this kind of stuff. So um, super into ancient mystic, mystic traditions and the, the hidden codes within, especially Christian texts for non-Christian metaphysical ideas. All I would say is this, people do this thing where in the modern day, people try to defend me by doing that argument that goes like, well, you've got to separate the artist from the art, you know, like someone can think these things, but then be very good. No, no, I'd, I go the other way, Monty. I think it's the opposite. I think actually, if you're one of the people who acknowledge like, well, yeah, I mean, Richard Lewis and Tharin are like really good at their job and never wrong and always nail it and get all the corrupt people and expose all that wrong. But, you know, the things they think ideologically and separately have no bearing on that. What are you talking It's the other way around you. More, that informs that. So what I would say is this, the reason why, if people don't understand, why are you interested in things like conspiracy? Have you noticed how in my career I've exposed in every layer of the industry, it is riddled with conspiracies you don't yep. know about and people constantly <laughs> acting for certain motivations True. and ends that no one knows until it is exposed. Like, the joke is, and this has been my real experience of esports. What I realized from esports is it is just a microcosm of what all industries in the world are like, and they are all filled with corruption. The joke is this, right? There is actual literal conspiracy and corruption, but even on like the less serious side, 
the thing people always complain about is corruption. It's like, oh, but it's just people who like know each other who get the game. No, no, that's just fucking social dynamics, guys. Like, yep. that's an area I feel like nerds have really missed. That's not even corrupt. Like, of course, you hire people you know and you trust and you can vibe with and have similar thoughts to you. Like, that just makes sense. So, yeah, if people ever wonder, why are you into all that? Like, have you looked at my career? Like, if I if I hadn't revealed some of the things I know, what would you think about esports? You'd have a very rosy, tinted glasses view of it, wouldn't you? So, all I'll say is, in like every area... It's when it's like I always bring it back to this when people tell Richard they was like, Why are you always so negative? It's like his job essentially is find rapists, murderers, and people who steal. Like, what do you think? It's not it'd be a pretty perfect world if he's having an awesome day, wouldn't it? Like, there's a lot uh, of darkness in the world, guys. Basically, if you're pulling the thread, it unravels the whole thing. Journalism fucks you up, man. Like, I come from a family of journalists. My, you know, my my grandfather um helped pioneer the freedom of information act in the united states to get the government to release information that they didn't want released he was the executive editor of the of a newspaper called the oakland tribune uh which is in the bay area he was a very important journalist of his era um and he was extremely pessimistic as it turns out when you're constantly covering this stuff and this is your entire life um it changes the way you think about things and you know i had a great grandfather brilliant man and did a lot of i think good for society and good for american journalism but certainly um he certainly was you know wary let's put it that he was a wary man <laughs> um all right, let's go on. What are the egregiously wrong takes, if any, that you have taken which stand out in your minds and still cringe about? I mean, I could give you two right now. How about <laughs> this one? XL will be the best team at the beginning of this year. It's pretty I good. Think we both had that take. Yeah. And then I also did back in season five have the take. Fnatic lost the off season, a split later. They had the first perfect split in history. So, all right. Those were two. Uh, and probably a bunch of mine about Overwatch League. There are probably a bunch of them in there about that one. <laughs> well, and also, spoiler, you did pick KT a lot in history. You did only win some one it, seven, so. Uh, some of it was for memes, but yeah. Okay. Some of it was for memes, but yeah, KT, my love of KT. Uh, constantly let down by the razor cake. Uh, I know you have opinions on this one, Thorin. What do you think of David Foster Wallace? Uh, here's the problem. I've never really understood why people think his books are boring or bad. I do think that they're hard to read because that style where you have to keep referring to the footnotes is just a bit like, it's not very like intuitive essentially, but I actually personally find that really interesting. Like I actually find his footnote styles really like it actually adds more info. Like, it's a bit nerdy and artistic, but if you, if you vibe with it, it's a really unique way of writing. And I do think his essays are fucking amazing. I think he's a fabulous essay writer. I think his sports writing is fucking crazy good. Um, like his writing on tennis that I've read, I've really enjoyed despite not even being a tennis fan. Um, I really struggle with his fiction. Um, I find infinite jest unreadable and it's not because I think it's a bad book. It's because I hate his kind of postmodern fiction. Okay. His, his pessimism um, and modernity is something that I cannot stand. And I've talked a little bit about this with Dostoevsky about being too kind of myopic and psychological for me. It's not that I think that Dostoevsky is a bad writer. I think he's a very important writer. I just don't like Dostoevsky. <laughs> and I just don't like David Foster Wallace because the things that he chooses to write about are not the kind of um, mystic, 
uh, transcendental themes, like eternal themes that I gravitate to. He's basically the antithesis of classic mythology. So I don't like him. <laughs> but I understand that he's good. And I understand that he's brilliant. And I appreciate his intellect, but it's just, it, it's not my taste. It's not my taste. Um, apart from breaking Faker's arm, did you get any response from the Big Dick Energy Awards you guys gave out? <laughs> uh, no, we gave them to fans too. But yeah, it was fun. It was fun to do. We enjoyed that. Uh, but no, I haven't heard from from the players or anything. I can't recall if the name has been brought up in past episodes, but have either of you read any Kierkegaard? Uh, not in a long time. And if so, what's your favorite work by him? I mostly read excerpts in college, so I can't recall specifically which aspects of Kierkegaard. He He's certainly not somebody like Nietzsche that I've been super invested in as a whole. No, no, this is not someone I've read like the primary work of. It's more like these are the sorts of people where I like to read books by people who are like syncretists who draw together ideas and different people. And I just found some of the interesting ideas. Like, for example, some of his Christian ideas are quite interesting. He's quite a unique thinker. If you could pick any player that has ever played for a certain org and you could choose his form by year, but you can't take more than one player for each year, what is God, God damn it. Okay. What is the best team slash org of all time? So if you could pick any player that has ever played for a certain org and you could choose his form by year, but you can't take more than one player for each year, what is the best team of all time? So basically, which team has had the most consistency over the years? Is that what it meant? What I thought it was like a rework of what they've had in the past ones of like, you just no. pick the best year of the no. top one and put him in a super we, we team. Have to, we, have to, we have to take... Okay. We have to take one, we can only take, it's one team. So let's say we take Cloud9 and we would have to take like 2013 Medios, but we couldn't take anybody else from 2013, but we could take uh, 2023 Berserker and put him on Cloud9. So it would have to be one roster. So what would be the I mean, best? I mean, T1 already time? right out the gate. T1 would be a strong contender, aren't they? So yeah. that's pretty good right there. <laughs> the real problem is this. The reason why it's probably going to be T1 is because most other teams don't have the longevity. Like, in the modern day, I want to have some awesome players, but like it only goes like, what, five years back? You know what I mean? Whereas T1, I mean, EDG is pay. kind of a good contender That's a pretty well. good one too. EDG is actually a good contender, but the problem would be EDG had a couple good years. Like you could take 2015 Deft, for example. I mean, they had Viper last year, but I guess. And then you could take, yeah, Viper last year. Oh, and oh, in then... 2021, when they won Worlds, you know, they had Viper. Right. Then. Yeah, I mean, Viper was a pretty good, good team. Year. They have Scout, yeah, obviously. Could... He was mega. They have old school fucking Clear Love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah EDG is a good shout, too. That's a good EDG shout. would probably be a pretty good one. Uh, EDG, but T1 would be a good one. Um, I think with Maybe the number of years could possibly do RNG would be a good one. The the number of players you could probably do on Dom one as well. Uh, Cause you could pick death this year and then you could pick two different years of uh, you could pick Nogari for the year that they won. You could pick two different years for Canyon and Showmaker. You Obviously, take... the Western one's easy. You just do G2, in it? You don't have to do with just the same year. That's why you're not in it. There you go. Problem solved. Well, you, but you'd have to pick different players. Like, oh, this whole right, thing is... Yes. Well, you can for... still do a pretty good one for that one, because you can obviously have old-school perks and stuff. Can't you? I mean, Cloud9 is the obvious one as well for, for North America. Oh, Team Liquid would probably be pretty good, too. Anyone except TSM, basically. <laughs> so are we waiting to see what will happen first? Riot implodes Killing League and Summoning Insight, or Riot makes fans pay for tournaments? My delusional grand plan was for Shaq, a rich person, to buy Riot from Tencent, hire you two and LS to run the Game Kingdom and make fans pay. 
China will say aliens canceled LPL, so LPL players will move back to LCK, and maybe China and Saudi economy collapses. Um, no, they it, it won't collapse. Again, the buck, basically the buck will just be passed on to whoever wants to pay for it, and that'll probably, like, China and Saudi Arabia. I don't think League will collapse. If Riot gets bored of running it, either Tencent will take control of it worldwide, um, the Saudis will take control of it worldwide, like, they'll just give it to ESL, right? Why would you stop it when you can just hand it off to, yeah, exactly. to ESL? Yeah, basically, yeah, as, a, I, as a last option, having someone else white label, it's always the obvious thing you'd do. Yeah. And I and trust me, really. ESL would love to be of able course. to do the, yeah. the League of Legends competitive circuit. Honestly, might be better. <laughs> might be, yeah. The events are good. <laughs> I, I don't know if I hate it. I don't know if I hate it, honestly. I think it would be very interesting. I mean, you could make a bunch of arguments. It would be better, Monty. Like, the event itself would be better. The production's probably The format would be good. better. They might even do better talent hires. Like, what wouldn't be good? Yeah, it could be awesome. Unironically. Yeah. Rewind to 2014. KT keeps rookie. Oh my God, this is my wet dream. All right, let's go. And making him and score their franchise players for the next six years. Oh, I'm coming. Predict how the next six years of history unfold. Obviously, like KT wins some titles in that. In that. Oh, realm. yeah. Like, eventually, that's, they come on. Eventually. Yeah, that's, a, that's an incredibly strong core. Um, and score was on a lot of teams between 2014 and well, 2017, even 2017, the KT super team was a massive disappointment. They didn't even make worlds. So it really took until 2018 for score to get anywhere. And just um, look at the players, right? Score was working with cocksuckers like fucking Nagnate and fly. <laughs> Meanwhile, and Rookie, finals. <laughs> Rookie was working with fucking Ning, like give me a break. Like, like the, the worst thing is these guys desperately need each other. Like together they would yeah. fucking cracked out. They would be amazing, wouldn't they? Yeah, that would have solved a lot of problems. Money for this is crazier than you realize, guys, because bear in mind, that was the down year of T1. If Rookie doesn't leave and he still progresses to become as great a player, the whole T1 dynasty is on the table. Remember, they only just survived Rocks. Like, if you had KT with Rookie as well and score maybe Death himself comes back later, like, Korea would have been amazing. Loki, that that really is the biggest what if ever. It's just what if all the best Koreans have to stay in LCK. That is the what if. And also... Imagine like, the like, number of I don't mind. If you want to have input, you can have gory and you can have you can have the questionable ones. But all the best Koreans, I want them in LCK. I want to see what would happen if you had five, six teams. Because think about it, mate. You could have had an era where all these players are active at the same time, like rookie, faker, scout, chovy, BD Dick. Like, mate, this would be the most bonkers fucking talent imaginable. The joke is the teams that don't make worlds would have potential world champion players just in their starting lineup. I I think what's I think what is so crazy about this too is that we could have gotten multiple years of prime faker and rookie just constantly playing against could each have been other. In the finals like five times, right? Yeah. Fucking lame, man. Fucking lame. What would be your desert island disc? A single album you could listen to if stranded on a desert island. What would what's the go-to for this? Because the reason why I prefer this sort of question to what is your favorite is I have the same thing. If someone asks me, like, what the best movie is, Monty, I might pick a movie that I only watched once and might never watch again. But if you do favorite, it has to be the one you can just watch a million times, isn't it? So I actually think the one you watch a million times is way more telling of who you are as a person. So basically, what album could you just listen to forever and never get bored? What would it be for you? Probably some VMV Nation or some shit, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I think I would actually just, if this is a, I literally had to sit there on a desert island, I don't it's think I would like take Miles Davis or something. Come on, what is it? 
I, I think I would take I would think I think I would take some Beethoven symphonies or something like that, just because if you had to listen to one thing forever, I don't think I want lyrics. I think I want yeah. something complex and timeless. And so I think I would probably just take some Beethoven symphonies, man. That would be probably good. I'd take some symphonic music for sure. I think anything else would just be too annoying to listen to forever. I mean, I already know what the answer is because even though I'm not someone, like if people don't know, I don't ever use Spotify. So I'm not somebody who has one of those things where I could show you the breakdown, but I don't need it because I already know through a mixture of both gaming, because I also do like music without lyrics when I'm doing work and enjoying cannabis products as like the aforementioned freeze pipe commercial, 10% off LFN at freezepipe.com. I know already the answer is any of the albums of Boards of Canada because I've already listened to them one billion fucking times on repeat. So <laughs> there you go. A million flights, a million books I've read, a billion times. Essentially, that's like my go-to is background music. I've listened to it a billion times while reading books at the beach or whatever, you know. Yeah, there you go. Loved the culture video on The Thing, but I haven't watched any of the other movies you guys have covered so far and haven't had the time to watch all the movies, so I feel like I'm falling behind. Well, you can't fall behind because there's a new movie every week, so you can catch up at any point in time. I'm just going to put that out there. You can literally just be like, this movie interests me. I'll watch it this week or not. Or it's you can say... It's the most evergreen series ever, mate. The movies <laughs> are all 30 years old, and the video, you can save it in your saved list. Come back any... You can literally come back 10 years from now, as long as the YouTube channel's up. Watch the movie and then watch the episode, yeah. and it'll work the same. And you'll be like, oh, that Rich Lewis guy's alive and still, like, oh, sober and lively. Like, you know, he'll be even crazier in 10 years, who knows? <laughs> uh, would you still heavily recommend watching the movies before watching the culture episodes, or is it doable without... due to the editing and the clips? Well... We oh, try and make it so you, all day long. Goal. We get, if you care about spoilers, the answer is no. Yes. If you don't, if you're like me and you don't give a flying fuck about spoilers, then you can watch it all day. And I think we try and make it interesting by having the editing in there so you can see the examples. And we do provide a synopsis of the, the films. Um, so hopefully, I mean, you guys tell us that's feedback for us. Do you guys find it easy to watch if you haven't watched the movies? We're trying to make it easy to watch if you haven't watched the movies. But honestly, it is like a film club and you can come and go if you only we we announce all four films weeks in advance. So you can just watch the ones that are interesting to you and watch those episodes or you can watch the films that are interesting. Don't watch the ones that aren't interesting, but still hear the context around them by watching the shows. Right. I don't know how you guys are using this material. Like, I can't tell you how to use the material. But as Lauren says, it is evergreen content. The material can be used from now until forever. If one genre interests you, the reason why we're switching genres is to keep things fresh, but also because you probably don't want three months of cosmic horror, which we absolutely could have done, by the way. And so if you're kind of like, I don't really care about this genre, we'll just come back in a few weeks and it will have changed. And maybe you will care about that one, right? We're going to go through We have a pretty large spreadsheet of stuff right now that we're working with. But I don't know. You guys, you guys tell us. Comment on the on the the culture videos and and tell us if you like the way things are going or how you're using it. Um, so hopefully the discussion is interesting on its own and there's enough context that you can watch it. But I do think obviously you get the most, especially if you watch the films, even if you've already seen them, if you watch them again recently, which is what we're doing as well. We are even if we've seen these movies a bunch of times, we are still rewatching them right before we do those shows. Yes. Well, you have any thoughts on that at all? 
on what? The fact that like he doesn't watch the episodes. Or I don't, what a weird. What, what's mad about that? It's like Arthur. That was like a fucking diary entry. Somewhere. So anyway, it's been hard at work. I've been able to keep up on the movies, but who gives a shit? Man? Why do I care? That's the Look, thanks for paying, and here's an answer. But I don't give. A, couldn't give a monkey like money. He said, just fucking save it in a watch later list. Also, when you say that, I'm just gonna say it because this is my style. I just call it how I say it. You know, when you go, I haven't had time. You have had time. I bet. I guarantee you've played League of Legends. Watch some dog shit LCS match. You've played some, but you probably played fucking Baldur's Gate 3. You had time. You just chose to allocate it differently. So also, I'm, not, I'm not here to convince you to watch it. I think we did a pretty great job of talking about the movie as it is. All of the movies that we watched in, in Cosmic all, Horror. The as well, by the way, they're not also all classics. Like some of them, for example, I've, there's a couple of movies. I won't say which ones, but there's a couple. If you watch the episode, I'd say I don't like even so. They're not all, they're not all a must watch. They're not all a must watch. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, it depends on your definitions but yeah we um i think also when you say you don't have time a lot of the movies in cosmic horror were like literally 90 minutes or less from beyond it's like an hour and 20 minutes long uh event horizon is like an hour and a half long if, if given that most tv shows streaming tv shows these days are an hour long or almost an hour long themselves it's honestly less of a commitment than watching two episodes of a tv show it's not that hard. We're not watching three-hour-long movies. There was a few. It was maybe like three months ago now. But I t when someone asked me a question like, "How do I get everything done productivity-wise?" You actually, the problem is, people take free time. It's like, well, I'm not doing anything then. Honestly, if you actually schedule your free time, you will get more of it as well. Like as I'm, yeah. as we're talking about here, instead of just watching like four episodes of an anime show on a second monitor, just carve out that like two hours and watch like an actual good movie and enjoy it and really like get yeah. the most out of it. Honestly, it's been awesome for me, too, because sometimes, you know, due to having a family, I'm busy dealing with that in the evenings. But instead of just farting around in the middle of the day, you know, for an hour not doing anything, I just literally just say, well, it's 1 p.m. I'm going to eat lunch and watch this movie now or this TV show for our culture shows. And it's, it's honestly given me a break and made me more, more productive. So just do that. Uh, while usually last place teams are just plain bad, uh, there have been surprising ones in LE, LEC slash LCS, Vitality, Almost, FlyQuest, Origin. Um, are there any interesting last place teams from LCK or LPL or others from the West? Well, I mean, last year we had Nongshim, which was way worse than you would have expected given their roster, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, the you know we've had weird teams that have failed. I mean, the craziest, obvious modern ones is like the Vitality one now or the other upset OG when they were 10th place. Like, yeah, it's that's what they're saying. Those rosters are that were the 10th place. Yeah, that's mad. Yeah, yeah. They're saying they, they, they in the in the West, there have been rosters like that that are inexplicably bad super teams. Are there any interesting last place teams from LCK or LPL? Like the Nongshi one for last year was pretty crazy from, from LCK. The problem is it's going to be way less likely it happens in the LPL or the LCK because first of all, there's just more talent there. And then secondly, the difference can be so stark like if you were as good equivalent to how good the players on Vitality yeah, I don't think you could come last place in LCK I don't think it's even possible I think you'd still be like 7th even on a really bad split you know you couldn't really be 10th with players that good like if we took fucking Viper and you know what I mean and we put these players in they're not coming 10th come on they're gonna win a few series at least yeah tips for aspiring content creators who are too afraid to take the first step you have to just do it you just gotta do it Right, everything grows. Frame that whole question, right? Hey, Monty, uh, I see you're. I see you. Are, you are Michael Phelps. Um, tips on people who want to be really good swimmers but are scared to jump in the pool. 
jump in the pool. What do you want us to say? Mate, so here's the problem. I don't mind that y'all need like a dad slash mentor figure, but we're not literally going to spoon feed you the fucking food. You have to do some of it yourself. Like you got to go halfway. Meet us halfway. Just do uh, it. Look, here's an example for you guys. We are doing these. You guys keep asking questions about the culture videos. Uh, we have no following in TV and film. None. Okay. Our viewership on those culture videos is way, 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 way less than our other podcasts. Like our biggest, our, our biggest video on the culture channel is at like 15,000 views right now. Okay. And that's the video that we did on the thing. And it's a brand new channel. We're, you know, we're dealing with a space where we don't have the level of credentials or credibility or fame that we do in the esports space. And so what we would consider kind of bad viewership uh, for a normal episode of our shows um, is what we're dealing with. But you know what? We have to just start that content and build the audience over time, which is exactly the same kind of thing in esports. And we're not getting down on ourselves because, you know, the viewership is... 10% or 15% of an episode of Summoning Insight because we know when we started, you have to build your way up there. And we're confident that on a long enough timeline and we know we're making very good content. We know we're making good content. You guys love it. The people who have seen it love it. Our All our analytics are like, our retention rate is crazy for the Culture Channel. So you guys are watching it and enjoying it. And eventually it'll build. You just, you, you have to do it. So even people who have been very successful like us in terms of content creators, when we enter new spaces, we have to build too. And we are building and we will continue to build, but you just have to do it. You just have to do it. Uh, best book you read lately, both of you. Well, I said, I'm reading this really, I'm almost done with this really good uh, book called Alexander the Great right now by, uh, I think, Philip Freeman. Um, and uh, that's been very enjoyable to learn more about. Alec I think it's very compellingly written. It's very exciting. Uh, trip through his entire life and the context of the ancient world at the time. So I have really enjoyed that. Hmm. What would I pick for this? Not really sure what I'd actually pick as my best one recently. I did all on that one. I'll pass on that one. Okay. What are your guys' thoughts around the dark tetrad and how such traits are exacerbated or enabled in the internet and how that influences culture? I don't know what the dark tetrad is. Do you know? It means like uh, the personality traits, like essentially like that, like serial killers have and stuff. If you look it up, like uh, dark triad oh, yeah. is what the original one was, but obviously they must have made it for now. If you look it up, you'll see what it is. Okay. Narcissism. Psychopathy, Machiavellianism, and sadism. I mean, essentially, it does seem like the internet is the ultimate place where these traits succeed with very little downside. Right. Compared to real life, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's an argument to be made that perhaps these traits being able to manifest on the internet provide a kind of release valve for people so they don't do terrible things in real life, potentially. But I have no idea. I mean, I'm... I'm very unfamiliar with this, so I don't know if I have a I don't, I don't know if I have an opinion on that. Um, in the last episode, you referenced one of Dennis's famous monologues from Always Sunny. How do you feel it stands up to Seinfeld in the genre of awful people, awful slash petty people comedy? 
any other shows slash movies in this genre that you appreciate? This is more your wheelhouse than mine. I haven't, I've seen only a couple episodes of Always Sunny. The problem is I do find it really funny because these are shows that are very well written, but I actually do think overall, like he's sort of alluded to there, in a way there is a negative aspect to the shows, which is the vibe of the show sort of is like, lol, isn't it funny that like fuck everyone else, which is like, that isn't really my philosophy on life in general. But I would just say the key thing is these are both just very well written shows is the key thing for me. So like, to be fair, that is all, that sort of comedy does have like antecedents. Like for me, something like Frasier is sort of like that. Like it's Essentially, baked into Fraser is like the elitism, isn't it? Of like, well, of course, he's better than other people and has a more refined taste and he's not some pleb like his dad or whatever. So I think, yeah, I think it's, they've got the similarities for sure. Which lol pro could be cast as Catherine Deneuve in The Hunger, always feeding on newer, younger talent to keep their oh, power? Oh, obvious. It's obviously Spjergsen and all his junglers in it. So <laughs> there you go. All his junglers are up in the coffin. Spoiler. It's waiting for their chance to come and get him finally. When he retires. Retires. Yeah, I bet he did. I was rather surprised about how Dota ranks when it comes to desirable new esports content delivery for LFN, but not anymore when I heard the reasoning. That made me curious, too, which titles would be next in line. Are more traditional sports channels coming before that, like a show with you and Thorne talking NFL? Uh, possibly. I mean, I think Valorant is a is an interesting one for us, especially because there's a lot of crossover with, with Counter-Strike um, talent slash fans, I guess. The similar genre. Um... Maybe some, it, I wouldn't the be... general rule, I would say that's a pretty good angle to answer on, which is it's more likely that we go based on the talent than the game. Like, we're not just picking a game. Like, what about this game? It's more like, like, for example, I'll give you a random example. If, like, DDK, for example, wanted to do some content, I would do some Valorant content tomorrow. He's, he's just a mega talent to work with. But if there wasn't a DDK and it was just some game like Rocket League that I don't know, then maybe we're not as eager to get it. So I'd say I, I'm personally more about, like, the specific people I want to work with, you know? It's also about the thesis behind LFN, which is that we want to work with people who want to generate a lot of content and have an end game of making a bunch of both esports and non-esports pieces. So, you know, if it's like people who are interested in doing a one-off show within a specific game, I think that's less interesting than us because the, the whole point of this is to be a long-term diverse partnership. Um, so I think it depends. Oh, well, I've been depends. thinking of an answer to the, the book one. I'll give you one now. Basically, if anyone's ever read... The, they'll know this guy, the biography that the guy David Goggins wrote, the guy who's like an ultra marathon runner who's been on Joe Rogan a million times and jo Jocko Wilkins' podcast. That is, I, I, I'd waited a long time to read it and I was just reading it on like planes and stuff. It actually is a good book though. It's really compelling. Like you'll almost think like he made it all up. Like his life is super interesting for sure. Which movie has the best cast in your opinion? I mean, here's what's funny. I actually think that one of the one of the two movies I always say are my favorites, Heat. I was going to say Heat. Fucking unbelievable <laughs> cast. People have to realize side characters in this movie are played the following: Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Jim yeah. Like, these are like fucking bona fide A-listers themselves, guys. Like, it's actually an insane cast list. That one, mate. It's actually bonkers how good it is. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot, you know, once you get to a certain level of, of fame as a director, you just get crazy good cast. Like think about Oppenheimer's cast recently. Fucking like Remy Malik is playing like a tiny, like barely speaking bit part in that. 
Um, you know, Josh Hartnett is back, I guess. <laughs> right. So, uh, Gary, Gary old, like some of the greatest, Robert both, Damon, think, yeah. about th think about this. Two of the greatest living character actors, Robert Downey Jr. and Gary Oldman, are both in that movie. And By the way, it's actually it. fucking hilarious how small a part Gary Oldman has in this movie. If you haven't seen, it's genuinely like a ten-minute part. That's it. He's out of the movie. But again, he's of course because it's Gary Oldman. He's also just completely unrecognizable within oh, no, the role. Of this is how gangster Gary Oldman is. He can simultaneously, Monty, in his career, have played Winston Churchill and fucking like. Fucking, who was it? Like Truman or something like Truman. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, there's a two, there couldn't be more different characters, could they? <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I mean, there, obviously, there's a lot of good cast. Heat is a very good one. Um, but even just recently, it's like once you, once you get to kind of like the peak of your fame and directorial powers, like Christopher Nolan has, you just end up with some, everybody just wants to like pile into your movies. There's probably some Quentin Tarantino movies as well that would qualify for this, just in terms of, um, in terms of star power. Like, I'm not a big fan of Hateful Eight, for example, but cast is fucking insane in that oh. movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. There you go. There's some of them. Uh, off I've the top of my head. Yeah, I'll give you one that's a bit more out there. LA Confidential. That's a good one. That that is main, the main characters are going to mega cast that one because the key thing about that movie is it catches people like Russell Crowe while they're still on the up. So like they actually became way more famous after. So like that's a banger one, mate. Guy Pierce wasn't that famous when that came out. Like that that has aged very well. That cast, some fucking amazing actors. Also, because Kevin Spacey is such a good character actor, there's going to be a bunch of potential Kevin Spacey movies as well in best oh, I mean, cast of all time. Is, this is what's a little bit fucked up. I will give a disclaimer here, because obviously, if I was to use the most literal language, Monty, the most important thing I would care about with Kevin Spacey's life would, of course, be, did he commit those crimes? Did he, did he do harm to other people? But the first thing I thought, this is where I can be a little bit selfish, the first thing I thought when that news came out that said he was found not guilty in that case was... So you ruined fucking House of Cards. So all those last seasons were just ruined for nothing. And we could have had him in the show. And then now, now can't go back now, can we? It's too late. It's over now. So uh, there you go. I, th so, I thought House of Cards was terrible. Yeah. So I wasn't too bothered by that. <laughs> but I, as an actor, Kevin Spacey is one of the best character oh, actors of, the of best this generation. Ever, mega. So, 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 so good. Um, so yeah, I there it, I think for me what really makes a lot of these like best cast lists is you're probably going to have some really good character actor in there and that could be Robert Downey Jr., it could be Gary Oldman, it could be Kevin Spacey, it could be Johnny Depp. Um but one of these kind of actors probably has to be in there because they're going to provide the kind of interesting balance to like a really strong leading actor. Um and so I think you have to have one of like one of those type of people in there. All right. That was the last question of the week. So we got through them all again, doing a good job of that every week. Uh, we will be back next week, guys, of course, to discuss LCS finals and LCK finals in the first round of LEC season finals and uh, Korea regionals will be going on. So still plenty of League of Legends to discuss here on LFN. Remember to follow our Twitch channel, subscribe everywhere. Thank you very much. See you next week.